Hi, I'm Rosie, and this is your invitation to join me in my weekly musings, where I go into a little bit more of soul-searching. The stories of our lives create a beautifully colored tapestry, interwoven by connecting threads. When we follow these threads that are tugging at our hearts, we're open to each other's creativity and higher artistic frequencies. So here at the Mystic Rose Studio, you might hear some quirky sounds in the mountain setting. But wherever you are, and in the midst of all your quirky sounds all around you, I invite you to join me and keep following those threads. Let's see. Okay, we're recording. So uh, today's special guest is Amy Takaya. Um, but first, I want to start with the trigger warning. Thank you, Amy, for mentioning that because that's really important because this episode will contain mentions of suicide and mental health challenges. So that is out there first in case anybody needs to um, not be driving or sitting and really listening to this. But this is a really important conversation. So, um, you know, do as needed. Uh, so Amy was born and raised in Southern Oregon in 1988. I'm not going to tell you what I was doing in that year. <laughs> Definitely out of high school. Uh, and currently <laughs> lives in Southern California. She's a yoga teacher of 10 years, a world traveler, which we're going to hear some cool stories about. Hannah, somatic educator, wife, and mother. Amy's a teacher of multiple systems of self-healing and is developing an immersive transformational program to guide teachers, coaches, therapists, and healers in restoring their functional movements, patterns, and microbiome through henosomatic education and nutritional healing. And of course, that's going to be the crux of what we're going to talk about and, and to really unpack that. So in today's episode, Amy tells the story of her psycho-spiritual awakening at 19 years old, and we have something in common there. So we'll share a little bit back and forth stories about that and how it turned from breakdown to breakthrough and set her on her yogic path. The thesis of her work is based on the belief that deep transformation happens when you have the will in the right environment with the right tools. Mm -mm -mm. Yes, this vision is what she brings to her clients and around which she has built her program. And I have to also say what you bring in general as a friend in life, um, this, this story that's in you, that even if somebody doesn't know the complete story, um, you hold beautiful space because it's almost like I, I know I feel this for myself like there's nothing that can shock me because I've either done it <laughs> seen it you know experienced it or something you know and I, I think that's truly where you can um, really help guide anybody through really deep spaces and you know I just I want to kind of just start with that um, right now you're doing some amazing incredible work with um, having all these pieces of you and your life story, your life's work, and how this is guiding you to actually really like transmute that, alchemize that into the gold of helping others. So, you know, what just from there, like, 
share? Yeah. Well, the last year has been really a, a period of awakening for me on like the next level of my awakening process, right? These things come in layers. And over the last year, I've just really had a lot of things click into place where I can look back on things that happened in my life. And I go, oh, wow. Like I understand why that happened. Maybe on a physiological level, I have a better understanding of why that happened. And then on a spiritual level, on a level of like my purpose and how it connects to the greater vision of my life. It's like, oh, that was necessary. I am, I understand fully now mm-hmm. the goal, like you just said, of what was there for me to learn. Um, and so there's just this, been this incredible kind of coming together um, of the bigger picture for me. And then also a sense of, I guess, liveliness and an ability to put myself out there to share with other people and to actually like give back to the world in this bigger way that I've, that I've been wanting to, that I've been called to for some time. Um, But, you know, we'll get into like what was in the way of that, you know, what was physically, emotionally, psychologically in the way of my really being able to fully give of myself. Um, And then in the last year, how that's just really opened up for me, that's really transformed in my own experience, you know, and it's a process. Like I still, I still am in that process of going, okay, wow, I'm ready to put this out in the world. I'm ready to like give of myself, of the life story that I carry and help other people who may be confused or looking for the next layer of their self-healing, right? And 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 connecting with people who I might have like a little piece of their puzzle that I can that I can offer that they can receive and go, oh wow, this this really takes me to the next place that I've been called to go. Um, so it's just been a wonderful process of, of being more and more open to collaborative um, energy with others and that, that alchemy of bringing my story to the forefront so that other people can connect with it, so that other people can, can be guided by their own wisdom in relation to, to the wisdom I carry. Yeah, beautiful, beautifully said. Um, and if my math is right, you're 34 now. I'm on my 34th year. Oh, you're about to. I'm going to turn 34. Okay, so right. Yeah. Perfect. So the year 33 was just like, like a really big year. Uh, yeah, that's we we kind of know a famous person that, that 33 year was uh, kind of important. Um, reflecting back on like where I was at 33. And thinking of the things that were really transpiring for me, um, it it's no coincidence that this is the time like that even like the Saturn return, right? Like all these things that happened during this time. It's really, I think, even if in your 20s you did a lot of things or experienced a lot of things, I feel for me like it wasn't until I turned 30 around that time that I really kind of understood who, or I started to understand who I was as an individual, um, you know, not just witnessing, but participating in my life. Right. You know, being able to, like you said, just look at these things and then say, okay, this is why these things happen. And I think it takes that much, that amount of time before we can really look back without judgment Mm. And know that like, this is part of our story and this is why we are who we are and it was necessary. Now, what do we do with this? You know, so, um, and, and just how, uh, a little bit of 
what exactly is um, Hannah somatics? I mean, I know I experienced it and I will say that just in just a few sessions, just the, the difference of how I was able to relate to my body. So I want to hear a bit more about that. Hannah somatic education is, um, you know, a neuromuscular retraining method. It works specifically with the motor system of the brain to release chronically contracted and tight muscles in our bodies. Um, I came to Hannah somatic education through my father, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, but the main motivating factor for me in my practice of these hanasomatic movements, this movement practice, was uh, that I was living with a lot of chronic pain and tension. And that the relief from chronic pain and tension that hanasomatics provides attracts a lot of people in the beginning. That's like the main motivator for why they're going to do these kind of these funny movements that they, they do like, oh, what is this? This is an exercise. This is something else, you know? But the truth is that because we're working with the motor system of the brain, panasomatic education has a lot of different applications. And so some of my clients, some of the people that I work with are, you know, trying to resolve chronic pain and tension and are getting a lot of relief in that area. But then there's all these other like kind of side effects, like wonderful side effects. Like it can really help with people's mm -hmm. anxiety helps a lot with anxiety because it calms down the nervous system. It helps them to start to be able to self-regulate again if they've been living with a lot of stress and tension, right? As you release the muscular tension, especially in the center of your body, you free up your organs and your digestion. So you start to get more of uh, a flow of life force energy through the center of your body, through all of your vital organs. Um, and it also has really wonderful applications for um, sensory disorders like like autism and ADHD. My father works with quite a number of clients who ha are, have a lot of benefit from hanasomatic education, helping them to deal with some of the, the challenges that they have with these sensory disorders um, because it specifically works with the movement part of your brain, the voluntary movement part of your brain. Um, in this really balanced way. So it starts working with both hemispheres and balancing things out. So really it's, it's a healing practice for your brain in relation to movement and how we move in the world is so fundamental. I mean, even if somebody is like born without arms or legs or lives most of their life in a wheelchair, they still move a little bit. They still move. Mm -hmm. There's still movement happening in their body, right? Um, and so healing the relationship between how your brain connects to your musculature is so, like I said, fundamental, a foundational kind of place that really helps to reorganize everything else in, in, your, in your body and in your being um, because you start to become more uh, feel more of a sense of belonging within your body, a more of a sense of control of what is happening unconsciously. So it's this kind of fine balance mm -hmm. between, you know, we have these unconscious things that we do and then we become conscious of them and then they kind of become unconscious again, right? There's that dance back and forth. Yeah. And yeah. what Hannah Somatics really points to is that it's good to have these things be unconscious. It's good to like, just be able to do your thing and be in that flow and not have to think about it. But 
it's not good if it's a thing, it's a, it's a way of doing something that's actually not functional or not actually helpful. It's like a habit that's unconscious that's kind mm-hmm. of getting in your way, like say a tight muscle in your neck and shoulder. Oh, I can't reach up anymore. My, my shoulder hurts. That's kind of the ex- idea of a unconscious habit, habitual um, thing that's getting in my way of being able to move my arm. Okay, so how do we address that? We go into it consciously. We go into our pattern, our issue in a conscious way, and then come out of it consciously. And we do that a number of times and and retrain the response to the environment. And that process frees us to let it be an unconscious thing again, where I can just reach up and grab something without having to think about it. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah. And uh, just like reflecting on, um, well, first of all, like how you, when you learn something, like no matter what it is, like you really dive in and make sure that you completely understand the holistic picture so that you can help others. So just like the way you explain things, it's just like, there's no, it's so complete. I just wanted to to say that, like, I love hearing you like speak of anything that you're really passionate about because you just really dive right in. And there's just like, you can hear how much you really have researched and studied. And it's not just, yeah, I just took some certification and that's it. Like you really live this. And my experience was um, learning from you and, and you could please follow Amy on Facebook and Instagram because she shares a lot of these teachings and these not just bite size but like on Facebook you have this little series of actually explaining this and I think it's really important because even if naturally somebody isn't visual learning we are visual as as humans and also we need to practice this and actually feel it And just even the explanation of we can just go with the shoulder of like, it's not just my shoulder hurts, therefore, I'm going to get surgery, I'm going to get all these things, not saying that maybe some of those things aren't necessary, possibly, but why not find out not just when that started, but why is that pattern still happening? Like even posture, like that was the thing to me that like looking at posture, like why some of the ways that my posture was going, you know, leaning a certain way and how that actually can be traced into a pattern of just my reflectiveness and, and the way I was approaching life. Yeah. So it's not just like I have poor posture you know, or it happens to be because that was a bad habit or I, you know, it, it, it may have started like I'm taller than many people that I grew up with. So a little bit might've been subconscious of, of that, like growing really tall, but then how did that kind of play into my life of being really shy or insecure? And, and does, do I still need that pattern? Like, do I still feel that way? And then if not, let's, Let's not continue to have my body going in a way that I no longer need. Right. And that's what I love about this. Absolutely. It's, it really is deeper and that relationship. And then um, that it's really natural. It might feel like, why am I doing this movement? But then when, especially the way you explain it, like, this is how our body's supposed to move. This is really like 
learning this technology, our body, and how to be in relationship with it truly, not just in studying it or reading about it or listening to self-development, which are all great things, but how much our body holds memory and how much our body holds holds space for us, literally. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and how this can really unlock that relationship with self. Totally. So this is what I love about all of this. So this is why I'm really excited yeah. for you to really get in and share more about your whole story and how like nutrition played and just how did you come to actually hear? And I know you have this beautiful story and I say beautiful because it, it just, you went through like the death <laughs> and then were able to have this supportive environment, you know, um, even if maybe at times it didn't feel like it, but, you know, I just, I just want to open this up so that you can just share from your heart of, of who's Amy right. and how did you well, get here? The thing <laughs> is, and this is, goes back to what you just said, actually about posture. So our bodies accumulate our life experiences for better or worse, like literally everything, like just the day in, day out things that you do, how many hours of the day you spend sitting, or maybe you played sports and you did this or that, but then also all of your emotional experiences, the traumas and the things you know that you went through, the self-consciousness maybe you experienced at a certain point in your life, all of that lives in your body and it continues to accumulate over time. And that's what we call, you know, old age or having a tight, hard, difficult mm. to move body when we're old is that actual accumulation of basically all of these assignments that our brain gets to contract. And there are lots of ways that people start to tune down their nervous system to become more relaxed, right? Like if you go get a massage, or if you go take a bath, that's like a involuntary way that we get our muscular system to calm down a bit. What Hannah Somatics offers is actually a voluntary practice to do that on purpose, to actually unwrap and untangle the contractions inside our bodies that are binding us over time, right? And when we start to unwind that physical contractive pattern, we gain not just more freedom and mobility, but we actually get to kind of like take off that layer of trauma that layer of pain that was holding us in this position, right? So mm. when I think about yeah. the amount of everyday chronic pain that I experienced in my mid-20s, it wasn't just from, you know, the way I was practicing my yoga, which was like quite intense and very physical, lots of really intense contractions in my body. It was accumulated of the life experiences I had. Some of the things I'm going to share with you today were part of that chronic pain and that poor posture, you know, or misalignment in my body that was, um, that was, that was going on for me. And it's, it's part of what I have begun to unwind and un and release through my daily somatic practice. And it's part of what frees me that, that taking off of those layers of life experience, of trauma, of, of challenge that were in my body, taking those off is what actually allows me to come forward now and really give of myself without that same tension binding me or separating me from others, mm -hmm. separating me from the world. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned um, your yoga practice. And I know you're going to talk about it some more because it's a big part of your story. But because I can imagine anybody listening that might say like, well, I'll just do yoga or I do yoga. But it's um, one is that I think here in the West, we have a different way of approaching you know, anything. It's like, get in there, do as much as you can fast, you know? Um, and then also, uh, a little bit more competitive maybe in nature, but even with ourselves. Um, but even what, and we'll talk about nutrition as well and food, but what I love is one of my mentors, his, uh, Mark David, he says, and I know that this is also an approach that you believe in, even like with all this physically is for him, it, it, this is about eating, but it's not just what you eat or even when you eat, but it's who is the mm-hmm. eater, who's showing up as that. So it's like also who is showing up to practice yeah. yoga or, or, or even do sports or even, you know, go, go to work or anything. And that I think is really the key of, of, for me, what I see of you sharing what um, HANA somatics is, is that who is the person who is holding this body and, and, and the relationship. And it's such a process of discovery because who we are changes, you know, from moment to moment, it's not fixed, you know? Um, And I I love that quote, by the way, that's definitely going to be a theme of what we're talking about today on all levels, all levels. It's so good. Um, And I have to say too, it's, yoga was my first healing method, my first body healing method. And yoga is incredibly healing and restorative. You know, it has all kinds of tremendous health benefits. Um, at the same time for me, it became compulsive. I became in a way like Mm -hmm. addicted to it. And I was practicing a lot of times, um, out of fear and we'll get into that. We'll get into why, because there was good reasons why, you know, fear is not just this like, mm-hmm. you know, was this like annoying thing that we just need to like get rid of. It's like fear exists for really real big reasons and, and reasons that deserve to be acknowledged and heard and understood compassionately. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, fear is a primal thing, keeping us alive, keeping us safe. Right. Yeah. And so it's not to say that practicing my yoga with an underlying sense of like fear was like a bad thing to do. It was just what I did unconsciously because yeah. it was what I knew to do to, to survive. And we'll definitely be talking about that today um, because really, you know, yoga being my first healing method and, and something that'll stay with me and in my body for the rest of my life, you know, um, is, is a huge powerful tool and a huge part of um, where I come from when I'm teaching movement or when I'm teaching anything is that, that foundation of, of yoga in, in my life. Um, and yoga beyond just, you know, Hatha yoga, the body, but yoga as a philosophy, yoga as meaning the union of, you know, your body, mind, and spirit, your Trinity union of that in in wholeness is really where I, what I mean when I say yoga beyond just, you know, bending Mm -hmm. over and touching the floor (laughs) or something. Yeah. 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 No, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it it is that practice of mind, body, soul, spirit. And um, we can also definitely get into those states in different ways. Uh, you know, somebody who's a runner may have their yoga practice during that time. So just I wanted to give that invitation out in case anybody's like, yeah, but I didn't 
I don't do yoga and I don't know if this is for me, but that this is really for anybody who owns a body, <laughs> who lives in a body. Yeah, yeah, yeah that contains. Currently. Even if you're not in for it, sure. yeah, you know, yeah. right now and you're kind of not wanting it or out of it, that this is a way to, this is that. Yeah, there's a great writer, to, James Joyce yeah, has a quote in one of his books that I love. It's like, I might forget the the character's name right now, but Mr. Darcy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> and I think yeah, at exactly. different points in our lives, we all experience no, that. that. We all have this, you know, yeah. sometimes it's like trauma. It's like something happens and we need to survive. And mm-hmm. whether it's pain or it's emotional pain, we have to separate ourselves from our bodies in order to survive that experience. And then it takes some time before we can start feeling safe to come back into our bodies. Like this is, this is a big yeah. part of what I'm talking about today. So you had asked before about yeah. nutritional healing, and this totally comes into the yoga field or or the yoga philosophy realm. Because if you really investigate, you know, yoga philosophy, they are always talking about what you're consuming, what you're taking in, and the effect mm-hmm. that it has on your body. Right. So this this is this nutritional piece that I bring into my work. It it feels so necessary from a yogic standpoint to to not leave that piece out when we're talking about the health of our bodies so to really examine not just what we take in but exactly what you said who we are when we take it in how you know yeah. how we're doing that the emotional spiritual psychological relationship with food that is part of our consumption of it right those things those yeah. things matter too it's not just you know the nutritional label or the, (laughs) you know, the facts, like that's great, but that's, there's a bigger picture, right. About what it means to, to be taking in life force energy through our food. Yeah. And, and you have experienced what it feels like to not feel good (laughs) when you're taking in food. Um, and even just when you said that yoga practice of what you're consuming, I mean, it goes oh, beyond food, totally. with friends, social media, like, you know, all these layers. So, of course, we are going to eat, you know, several times a day. So that's to me, that's like the most intimate thing, you know, and, and oftentimes when you're out of body, you're numbing or you're not even conscious of what you're eating. So I love that you really this truly is a holistic way with the true word meaning of holistic that it's it's everything it's mind body soul and that you are um you've studied so long not just with your life experience but um you know we all start with like okay i need to learn how to move through this and then now you're able to offer that for others but um yeah you know i think it's 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 important for people to hear our, our life stories. And that's why I'm so, I'm so open and candid about like things I've done and what, you know, you know, of course to different people, but your story really helps to frame why and how you came about even just your path, Mm -hmm. you know, with your travels, with your, you know, your story of when you were sick, when you were younger. So can you share a little bit about about that as much as you sure, like. Sure. Sure. You know? So, um, I grew up in Southern Oregon in Ashland, Oregon. Um, and I grew up basically with a single mother household. My parents divorced when I was two. And so we had two different households. We'd go to my dad, 
dad's house for a few days and we'd be at my mom's house. And my mom worked night shift uh, as a nurse for many years. And it was really hard on her body because, you know, she would work night shift and then she would try to sleep during the day with two rambunctious kids running around, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So we were kind of wild child, like growing up wild kids a little bit, you know, a little bit feral. Um, And there wasn't a whole Mm -hmm. lot of um, like, conscious food prep going on. I mean, my mother tried, but she was just so exhausted all the time. There was a lot of like boiled hot dogs and like toast (laughs) and like, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever we could kind of scrounge up and like find for ourselves. So, you know, early on there was a lot of processed food. There was a lot of, you know, just whatever ramen, you know, gosh, I remember this thing we used to do when we were kids, which was actually really delicious, but like just crazy. We would take the ramen, right? And we would partially cook it in the water. And then we would pull it out of the water and put it on a frying pan with oil. And then we would literally just take like the flavoring packet and sprinkle it on the noodles while it was frying in the Mm, oil, Yeah, which is like super salty and super oily, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is what we would eat. And if we were feeling like extra fancy, we might throw an egg in there, but there was like no vegetables. Mm -hmm. And it was just like oil and like starch with no fiber, you know, but this was like a thing. And we would like do like three ramen packets at once. And like my brother and I would just like eat it together on a plate, you know, and that would be like dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and we didn't know any better. And like, you know, I looked around and like other kids were eating like, you know, the everything, you know, it was like, it was normal ish, you know, to have this kind of like microwavable food or toaster oven food, whatever. Um, and I, you know, as a kid, you kind of like go with what you see on TV. You kind of think that's cool. Like you want to eat pop tarts. Although I remember like eating a pop tart for the first time, I was like, this isn't actually good, (laughs) but it's fun looking and it's sweet. So it must be good, but it doesn't actually like taste good. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, cardboard with like jam with, like, on it, jam right? in the center and like some crispy frosting on top like it was like I kind of knew as a kid even I'm like this is like not food but like it's fun and I'm supposed to like it mm-hmm. so I'm gonna just go with that um but yep. you know the result of that and you know the trauma of my parents divorce and you know and also and I'll get a little bit into this today being an empathic child who was taking mm-hmm. in a lot of the emotional um, primal energy around me um, and not realizing it, like taking it in, taking it on, having these I- emotional or, you know, fearful experiences and believing that it was my experience rather than understanding mm-hmm. that it was something I was taking in from my environment. Right. And then not, no, not having a way to like really let that out, just carrying it now. Like it's just mine and I'm carrying like this sadness or this mm-hmm. grief or this anger, like in my body. Right. The combination of all of that led me to have what I now understand as early onset puberty. So in third grade, right, I, in like a matter of like two months or something, I went through puberty. Like I didn't bleed. Mm. I didn't actually have menses, but I had boobs about size B (laughs) and I, my my hips and my belly exploded. So it was almost just like, it felt like an explosion. Like I had all these purple stretch marks all over my lower half, all over my Mm. thighs and my butt and my belly as my hips just expanded very quickly. And I was eight years old. 
So this was super mm. traumatic for me. And I, you know, other kids yeah. didn't really know what to do with me. Other adults didn't really know what to do with me. Um, so I was, you know, kind of unnecessarily like shamed sometimes by adults who were like, why aren't you wearing a bra? You know, and I'm like, I'm eight. I don't even want boobs. I want to be eight. I shouldn't have to be thinking about this, you know? And then yeah. other kids didn't know what to do because they were, they were curious, of course. And so I was sexually harassed by other kids at school. It was a very, very difficult year, my third grade year. Um, and it was in a public school. And prior to that, I'd been in alternative education. I had been in Waldorf school and like different alternative education programs. So all of that was just kind of a shock to my system in third grade to go into public school and have this early onset puberty thing happen. And the result of it was that I begged my mother to keep me home from school the following year. And, you know, there's more on this story that I've shared on my social media. So if you follow me on social media, you know, you, I, there's the, there's a whole post, a whole piece that I wrote about this time in my life. Um, Cause it was really my mm. first huge transformational experience, you know, except I was transforming suddenly into a woman at the age of eight, which was, you know, yeah terrifying. <laughs> to be completely honest, it was terrifying and horrifying. And it was the first time that I, well, the first time that I can really point to and say, I started distancing myself from my body. I started separating yeah. myself from my physical experience because it was, it was terrifying. And the impact that like was, it was having in the world around me, I didn't know how to handle. I didn't know how to handle grown men suddenly like looking at my chest. I didn't know how to handle other kids grabbing me. I didn't know how to handle any of it. So begged my mother, keep me home from school. She agreed. And I was allowed to do that um, from eight years old until I decided voluntarily to go back to school in seventh grade. So from third grade to mm -hmm. seventh grade, I was homeschooled by, um, by my working sleep deprived mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and during that time, basically from eight till about 11 years old, my health continued to deteriorate because we were still doing the fried ramen noodles and like whatever was around. Um, and yeah, my, I just continued to have more and more health struggles. Um, and you can see it on my face. Like when I look at pictures of myself from that time, it used to really upset me because I would just feel transported mm -hmm. back to this really depressed, sad little girl who just felt like a complete victim of her body, you know? Um, and I look at it now and I understand the physiological things were at, that were at play. I understand the, you know, the way that I was holding on to not only the trauma I'd experienced, but the trauma I had experienced from other people, you know? And so I look at it now with so much compassion and so much love for her. Um, and it doesn't frighten mm -hmm. me the way that it used to. It doesn't frighten me because it was like this scary unknown. Like, I don't know why that happened. It was just something was, I was, something was wrong with me. You know, that kind of thinking is, is not where I, where I come from now, where I come from now is like a place of understanding the bigger picture of why these things happen. Right. And, and yeah. sharing that with people, you know, anybody else out there, I know there's plenty of other people who've experienced early onset puberty and the trauma of that, you know, or even just having struggles around puberty with health issues and feeling like there's something wrong with them and not understanding the bigger picture of, of what's physiologically happening, what's energetically happening. Um, and then, and then keeping some idea about themselves that may not be true and may not actually be helping right. them. Right. So I, I really do feel that sharing the story, you know, all of the story that I'm going to share today with people is really an opportunity um, to help other people be more free to help other people understand themselves if they had similar experiences. 
um, to me. Yeah. What did, um, what did your mom, did she have any, I mean, obviously she was trying to survive herself, like, you know, uh, with two kids and working, you know, probably exhausted herself. What, where did, did you feel like you were a burden? I mean, there were moments of that for sure, especially if she would get, you know, really overwhelmed and tired and stressed and kind of basically, you know, kind of have like a meltdown, you know, or something. I would, mm-hmm. I would internalize that. I would feel like it was my fault and things like this, but that happened yeah. for sure. Um, but bigger than that, what I can see now is that she really did provide us with a loving, safe environment. Now, it might not have been clean and organized, <laughs> but it was a yeah, loving and yeah. safe environment that we were allowed to be ourselves, right? And and we were we were safe. We were safe to explore our passions and our creativity, and she encouraged that. Um, and then when I started, you know, really my health started deteriorating further, she really sought solutions. You know, it was, Mm. she looked for doctors who would just, you know, most doctors were like looking at me and going, Oh, she's just a fat kid needs to exercise, you know, Uh, just don't let her eat so much or something like weird and like Mm -hmm. archaic like that. But my mother was always seeking out physicians who were more cutting edge, who were really looking for answers beyond, you know, what they can see on the outside. She was looking for people who would run tests on me, would run tests to see what was going on with my hormones, what was going on with my digestion. And eventually she found a doctor who would do that. And around 11 years old, um, I was told that I was sensitive to and or allergic to the protein in dairy and soy, casein and soy protein. Okay. And um, that, you know, and at this time, the part of what was the diagnosis too, was that I had hypothyroidism. And that, that kind of also explains the way that my body and my face had changed. Um, from doing more research, I think I may have even had a mild form of Cushing's syndrome, very mild form of it. But some of the, the characteristics of people who have Cushing's um, remind me of my, my pre-adolescent body. Um, and mm. Cushing's is, is from too much cortisol, the stress hormone of cortisol too much cortisol yeah, in yeah. your system changing actually your physiology sense. and the way that your body is shaped and looks through that heightened cortisol. Yeah. So there, all of this was going on between eight and 11 years old. And at 11, I found that there was a solution, which was stop eating dairy and soy. That was what this, this doctor, this innovative doctor told my mother um, that this would help. And I was put on thyroid medication to help correct my hypothyroidism. and. Within a at eleven, at 11 this is at eleven, at 11 years 11. old. Yeah, okay. and I yeah. was super angry yeah. about this, by the way, because it meant that I couldn't eat any of the food that I had been eating. Back right. then, you couldn't find dairy-free, soy-free packaged food. I was going to say, I mean, this wasn't like a common like now. You can go anywhere right. and gluten-free and all these things. Um, oh, but yeah. Then it was like this was nineteen ninety nine. You're gonna eat. You're gonna die. Yeah, yeah. Right? What, yeah. You can't eat cheese. Oh my god, your life is over. Yeah, right. Where are you gonna get your protein? Yeah, or, you know, like your calcium from. So for right? me, it was super upsetting because now I had to look at all of the labels on the food that I was eating, mm-hmm. and ninety nine point nine percent of the time, if it was a packaged processed food, even like a can of soup, I couldn't eat it because it had soy mm-hmm. or it had dairy in it. So hydrolyzed soy protein. I got to know all of these names of all these like weird, you know, ways that dairy and milk have been processed and manipulated away from their Uh original food 
and put into yeah. foods in these like little pieces, these little fragments of the food. So I got very familiar with that, reading all these labels at like 11 years old and being super frustrated that I couldn't just be normal and eat pizza. I remember it was the phrase I used right. for this for many years. I just, I just want to be normal and eat pizza. I just want to be like everybody else. Why does my body have to be like torturing me on all these levels? Right? Yeah. Like your enemy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, and, um, but there was this fear in me. There was this like, well, I, I was really depressed and I was like starting to like feel really socially isolated and, you know, I knew that I couldn't continue to live that way. So I was like, okay, this, I guess I'm doing this. You know, there's that will, the will to do it, not the want, not the desire, the will to do something is quite different. You know, if we wait for us ourselves to feel desire or want for something, we may not do anything, (laughs) you know? Um, But if we have the will, if we ask ourselves like, do I, can I do this? Do I have the energy for this? Is this, does this seem like the right direction? And we get like a clear, you do, even if it's a hard thing, mm-hmm. even if it's not like the first thing that we would wake up and say, like, that's what I want to do. That's, that's what I yeah. mean when I say the will, you know, the will to do something. So I had that and I did. Um, and within a year, I'm serious, within a year of changing my diet and taking the thyroid medication, my body turned back into like kind of a normal 12 year old girl body. And my face changed back to the way that I looked when I was a little girl. And what I recognize now, now that I understand my microbiome, now that I understand, you know, how that affects our hormone regulation and da, 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 da. It was that I was not eating processed food. I was eating a much more whole foods diet at that time because I couldn't eat dairy and soy. So I was forced to eat more whole foods. It wasn't, you know, obviously like the um, most, most healing diet possible, you know? Um, Yeah. But taking away most of the processed foods, you know, the majority of absolutely. And it's almost like um, just hearing this, like just this, like for me, it's like I hurt for little Amy, like eight, eight to 11 year old Amy, like I can, I know what going through puberty felt like and how, but but that was at 12 when everybody else was going through it. Mostly when it was like, we were having the talks at school and the preparation. And I couldn't even imagine thinking of like my hopscotch days and what I was doing at, you know, in third grade, even thinking of that and how traumatic already that is like what's happening and why and then having like you like you said kind of like some shame around that like not just yourself but you didn't want this so it must have felt like your body was your enemy right and not you know and, and then now you are punished and you can't even be normal as you say uh as you said um and eat these kid foods, yeah, everybody right? what, foods what everybody else birthday parties or whatever why am i you different know? everybody else eats this stuff and yeah. like they don't get sick They're, their faces don't warp and change there you don't you know why is it that i'm so so different <laughs> you know what's so what's so weird and unnatural about me that was kind of the thing that i internalized for a long time was like that there was something yeah. innately wrong with me that made me different from other right. people that could do these things and not have consequences. Yeah. But, and in reality, your body was screaming for help right? and giving out these intense signals, whether it was, I mean, I can just like kind of imagine what this 
being an empath, like not just a little bit sensitive, but like an empath and highly sensitive, you know, that combination I know is really intense. And in when you don't know that it's not yours that you're carrying, uh, maybe a little bit of you subconsciously feeling like you needed to grow up faster. Yes. And, you know, some of these things just play with that. But how, how did you, so once you started seeing the changes and it's like, oh, this Yeah, works. no, I was very motivating. It was very motivating because then I was 12 going on 13, you know, and I was actually starting to have like normal hormone regulation because my thyroid was being mm-hmm. corrected. And so I started, you know, actually enjoying that I looked like womanly, you know, I actually was uh, like, oh. I look nice in a dress. Like, yeah. oh, I have a shape right. that like is like, you know, I see in those old Hollywood musicals that I liked to watch, you know, mm. like I started having an appreciation for my body in these, in these ways, you know, and then I actually, you know, that was a big reason why I decided that I was ready to go back to school was that I didn't feel so say, awkward yeah. and right. gross. I honestly felt like gross in my body from eight to 11, mm-hmm. you know, and in inwardly, I started having more health because of the, the changes in my diet. So I started overall just feeling more like I could be seen in public, I could be out there in the world. And it was it was safer to be in the world. Um, and this is yeah. a huge thing that I'm putting together now is like, how we feel inside our bodies is a direct reflection of how we see the world outside of us. So if we're having turmoil and health problems inside our bodies, it's going to be that much harder to look out into the world and not just see the 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 pain and the hardship and the darkness at the on the outside in you know the exterior, right? So as I started to feel better in my body, I started to look at the world in a more hopeful way, um, and went to a charter school with about eighty kids, and uh, it was a school full of misfits and. Uh, the teachers ran the school by consensus. So there was no principal. <laughs> and um, it was, it was really like an alternative charter school as they, you know, more and more of these are coming up. Uh, but this was, you know, really one of the first of its kind. It was called Armadillo Technical Institute. And it had, you know, kids who had uh, Asperger's or autism. It had kids who had been homeschooled for various reasons and were going back to school. It had Jehovah's Witnesses who were like not fitting in in public school. It had like, you know, super, super smart, gifted kids who wanted to do their own kind of like, you know, um, educational program that was custom fit to them. And it also had kids that had been kicked out of every other school in the valley and were like the mm. problem kids that no other school would take because this school was yeah. about working with people where they're at and helping people where they are at, not trying to make them different, right, than, than who they really are. So uh, once again, I found myself in a healing, supportive environment, of an environment where I was allowed to be myself, right, yeah. with all of my struggles. <laughs> um, so, so I went to school, and I did really well, and I, I actually started as a seventh grader, and they let me do high school work in seventh grade because I was capable of it. So they gave me high school credit mm-hmm. in seventh grade. And the next year I went straight into uh, ninth grade um, and was now in high school at 14 years old. Um, and big, big shift you can think from where I was when I was 11, you know, just three years prior. Yeah. Um, and I was around older kids. I was around teenagers. And so I very quickly kind of adapted into, you know, being a teenager. And I was like, kind of gothy and grungy. And, you know, I understood life's pain. I mean, obviously, like, 
you know, I'd been living mm-hmm. it for a long yeah. time. So I identified with like kind of the darker side of things. You fit in. Right. There. I fit in yeah. really well with that because I already spoke that language of like, you know, the dismal and the gloom. Right. Um, yeah. And I made some really like beautiful friends, but, you know, a lot of my friends were also quite troubled. Like they were, they were also having Mm -hmm. a lot of pain in their lives from different things. And we weren't obviously, you know, kids aren't really mature enough to unpack that stuff. So you didn't really know it was a lot of, it was energetic. You would feel other people. I mean, I would feel other people's pain and other people's issues, but I would have no language for how to, how to address that or even how to handle it. Once it came in, I would just take it on another layer of like taking in pain, you know, and then making it my own. Right. So so yeah, it was a it was a quite an interesting time for me. Um, and I, you know, I had a boyfriend, my first boyfriend, for a year and a half, and was you know really invested in that relationship. And then that relationship didn't work out. He was older than me, and he ended up going off to college. And uh, I had another boyfriend, my second boyfriend, who I was with for about a year. And it was interesting because you know at I guess I was about like it was summer. I turned sixteen, right, with this boyfriend. He basically said like, yeah, in like a year or two, we'll get married and we'll have kids. And my (laughs) response, I remember I was just like flabbergasted. I was like, I think the only thing I could think was like, I'm 16 years old. Like I'm 16. Like, how is that? You already had this knowing. Yeah. I was just like, there's no way that I can do any of that. I'm 16. Like why would, and, and then, you know, his response was actually to get really offended and upset because here he was like mm-hmm. ready to marry me, ready to start a whole life with me. Yeah. And I was like denying him. I was like, not, you know, so he was really hurt. He felt, he felt, um, rejected, you know, and he ended up breaking up with me that, um, that summer, that fall. Um, and it was really heartbreaking for me. It was really upsetting. It was the first time that, you know, I had had a relationship end in this, this way on, you know, on the receiving end of it, um, with this boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, that was actually, I was 16, it was the summer I turned 16. So I started my senior year, um, that year in high school. And, um, it was like a really intense year. <laughs> so I had this breakup over the summer. I got my first job, um, working at Wendy's hamburgers. Oh, and I'll add to this, you know, throughout this time in high school, I struggled a lot with my food because of that be normally mm. eat pizza thing. I really, I struggled because I wanted to be like everybody else. And I wanted to go, you know, out to Jack in the Box or Wendy's with my friends. And I wanted to just ignore what the labels said. And I knew that, you know, I was eating food that I was allergic to or food that was, that was not in alignment with what my body needed. But there was a lot of like, just denial and, and wanting to focus on, you know, the, the way it felt good to be with friends and the way it felt good to enjoy, enjoy food that other people are enjoying. Right. So there was a huge struggle for me and my health kind of deteriorated again. It, you know, I, I got like a lot heavier for a period of time, you know, eating more processed food, eating more fast food. And I got depressed again. Um, and I, I started to not feel well in my body again during this time. So 16 years old, I decide that I actually want to go back to public school. Spent my time at this, you know, charter school with 80 kids, big fish, small pond experience. And now I'm feeling a certain level of confidence in myself that I want to actually go to public school again. So my. And this is going to be your senior senior year. year. Yeah. 
So do you feel like that breakup kind of made you want to like, I want to go somewhere new? I kind of was already like, headed in that direction, you know? And I think that okay. was also part of the underlying maybe thing, like you know, lunch. between my boyfriend and yeah. I is we're not going in the same direction. He's going in this direction. I'm going in this mm. direction, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, senior year of high school, I decided to go to Ashland High School, the big, you know, high school in my hometown of Ashland, Oregon, that, you know, is pretty high, high level education. Ashland's a theater town. So they have an excellent theater and arts program. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a fair amount of money in Ashland. So it's, it's like a nice school. It's like a good school to graduate from, you know, or whatever. So I decided to go there. And uh, my best friend, actually, Anna Newfeld, she had started going there like a couple of years before. So that was another motivating factor was that I'd get to spend more time with her. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I uh, transferred so that I could work at the Wendy's Hamburgers in Ashland because I had been at the one in the the city next door in Medford. But I transferred over to Ashland so I could work and go to school there. So it's fall and I'm, you know, starting to make other friends, new people are coming into my life. There's kind of a freshness, but there's also a lot of grief because of this breakup with my boyfriend, all of this kind of trauma and stress that I'm still carrying in my body that I'm finding, you know, the ways that teenagers deal with that, which is like, you know, I would smoke cigarettes sometimes and I would drink on the weekends and, you know, um, smoke weed occasionally, you know, at this, at this point, it wasn't like a really big practice in my life. It was just one of these things I played with like teenagers do. Right. Yeah. And, and also yeah. with that, like kind of bad girl, grungy goth thing, you know, right. You have to, you have <laughs> it's, it's to part of the costume. Yeah. It's part of the performance. Like <laughs> exactly. I can't not do that. You know? So that was, you know, that was part of what was going on in my inner world, in my body and my physical experience were these little escapist kind of activities to escape mm-hmm. the suffering of life right? And um, I reconnected that fall with a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in like a while. Um, And, uh, you know, this is actually the part of the story. I'll give another little trigger warning here, just in case, you know, people are sensitive to this. I am going to be talking a bit about suicide and the impact of suicide on on me at that time in my life. Um, But he was someone who had been struggling a long time, I could feel that in him, but I didn't have, again, I was a kid, so I didn't have any way to like really explore that or talk about that with him. It was always just, let's be sarcastic together or something. Right. This is the friend that you reconnected with at the, well, he wasn't actually going to Ashland high school. He was a little bit older and he was actually working Mm. at a hospital, um, in at some capacity. I can't remember what he did exactly. Um, but he was a little bit older, a few years older, like, yeah. Um, And I reconnected with him at like a friend's house. We were there partying. Mm. It was close to Halloween, actually. Um, And he shared at that party, at that gathering, that he had asked a girl to marry him, his girlfriend who he'd been dating for like a year. He'd asked her to marry him and she had said no and then broken up with him. Or maybe it was something like Mm. they were engaged. She said yes. And then she said no and then broke up with him. Mm. So he was in a lot of grief. And I connected with that like immediately as an empathic person. Like I felt his grief so deep and it reminded me of my own grief. And so now I was like experiencing Mm -hmm. like double grief, you know, and the result of that like interaction was that he and I ended up drinking a lot of alcohol that night 
And when I woke up the next morning, we were in bed together, you know, Mm. at his, at his um, house or at his mom's house where nobody was home. And it Mm. was a pretty intense thing for me because up until this point, I'd only had boyfriends you know, where we're together for quite some time before we start exploring anything physical. And, you know, then I'm only with them and there's this building of this relationship. Well, all of a sudden I'm having kind of like a one night stand for the first time in my young life. And it was with someone that I already had like a friendship with, you know, that, that went really deep, like a a kind of, he was someone that I, I felt a lot of his emotions and I was really connected to him on this emotional level. Um, and so we, we spent that morning together, um, basically playing love, you know, playing, being in love, being in love perhaps, and sharing a lot of, you know, personal things with each other, opening up a lot. Um, and, you know, I remember specifically asking him during that morning, you know, what do you think happens when you die? And he said, I think you come back said, Oh, really? Why do you think you come back? And he's like, because you have to have a second chance. There has to be a second chance. Mm -hmm. Right. And he, uh, he drove me back home the next morning, you know, and we were smoking camel cigarettes together. And as we're driving, like I can feel our, our auras and our energy kind of separating, you know, separating, separating. And then finally, you know, I'm, we're almost to my house. And he says, uh, Oh, uh, by the way, uh, please don't tell anybody about this, not even so-and-so, our mutual friend, because mm. uh, I'm going to try to get my ex-girlfriend back, and I don't, I don't want this to mess that up. And I remember just feeling wow. so hurt, you know, like my heart just kind of like splintered, you know, um, yeah. and I felt this, this sense of rejection and... Um, I was such a great little grungy actress though. I just shrugged, you know, with my, my cigarette and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't really care. Like those were the Mm -hmm. words I said. Like, I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't really care. And I don't know whether or not he believed me or not, but his response was just kind of this like dry, hollow laugh. Yeah. And then I got out of the car and I went into my house and five days later, he shot himself in the head. Wow. And um, it was pretty intense five days leading up to that because I was kind of in agony about the situation. I was feeling, you know, like I loved this person. Like I was like, oh my God, like, do I love this person? Like, do I want to try to like be with him? You know, I was confused. I was like, why did I tell him that I don't care when I do? should I call him and tell him Mm -hmm. I do care? And I was like, no, I'll wait for him to call me. Like all these like mind game things that, you know, people tell you like, you know, don't sound desperate. Don't, you know, wait for him to da da da. Mm -hmm. And I remember the night that he did it. um, I was staying at my friend's house, um, my best friend's house. And I was just in agony. I was like, my whole body was like screaming, call him, call him and tell him that you do care. And I didn't, (laughs) I didn't. And then the next day in the afternoon, I found out that he was gone and Mm. it was like a truck hit me. I was just so like the grief that I was carrying was now just like, you know, quadrupled, multiplied and compounded, you know? Um, 
and the regret that I felt at not being true and not being honest, if that might've made any difference for him. Um, and just that I, and that there was no resolution that I could not go back in time and say something different or Mm -hmm. do something different or call him that night, you know, and maybe save his life or whatever, all the thoughts and feelings that were going through me at that time. And yeah, this was like fall senior year in high school. And I honestly, looking back on it, it's like amazing that I graduated (laughs) because at that point I just went full on into these things that I'd been dabbling with already, like smoking weed and drinking, you know, partying, binge drinking and smoking cigarettes. I just doubled down on all of that to numb myself from this trauma, from this pain. Um, so yeah. now I was a daily smoker and I would cut class to go sit on the curb somewhere, you know, around the corner from class and from school and smoke, you know, and on the weekends I was drinking, you know, a full bottle of wine by myself and I was smoking weed almost every day. And of course my friendships all reflected that I was hanging out with people that were mm-hmm. also doing those things. Um, and that that was like part of their lifestyle. And, you know, it went on probably for 18 months or so that I was living in that way. Um, And and to be honest, when I look back on like the, that time, there was a lot of it that was just kind of a blur. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And, and yeah, I definitely was, my health was, was struggling. Um, I'd say the, the saving grace that I had was that, um, that spring. So I, I graduated high school 2006 and then in 2007, in the spring, I got a job at Barnes and Noble Booksellers. So I was no longer going to be working at Wendy's Hamburgers. I was going to be working at Barnes and Noble Booksellers, which was this like awesome job, you know? And yeah. they hired me in because I'd been a, a, a shift leader or like a, you know, a, a leader at Wendy's. They hired me in as a head cashier. So I got full time and I got benefits, you know? And this was perfect because I hadn't really been a- able to make the college thing work because I didn't really have the emotional or um, psychological like strength to really deliver on that at this time, right? Um, so I just opted to take this job at Barnes & Noble and do self-learning, which I was already really good at. Just read as many books as yeah. I could possibly want to read, you know? Um, and that was, again, finding that really healing right environment for myself, and grateful that 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 arrived to me, that that opportunity came to me. So that was um, yeah. around March. I got hired in March of 2007 at Barnes and Noble, and over the course of the next year, I think I just very slowly, as I was interacting with older people, you know, adults, grown people, the, the yep. general public, yep. you know, and the way people treat you, <laughs> working at a bookstore like Barnes and Noble it's versus true. how people treat right. you as when you work in fast, fast food. food. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's yeah, kind of hilarious totally because different. when I'm working in fast food, I'm making something you're going to put in your mouth. Exactly. <laughs> Why are you being so rude? And you're working, and I'm really, working hard. really hard. Yeah, you're hustling. Oh, yeah. yeah. But people were always so, you know, polite and, you know, well, you know, people would be rude sometimes, but compared to fast food, no, right. like just the way people looked at me, yeah. saw me, spoke mm-hmm. to me, interacted with me as the girl behind the registers at the bookstore was just miles yeah. away from how people saw me in my Wendy's right. uniform. Right? Yeah. 
So I started. No, I, yeah. that's so true. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy, isn't it? In our in society, it's it's pretty unfortunate that there's. Such a, yeah, because that could be the same, person, the same person who just bought at Wendy's and then went to go get a book, and now they almost have to turn into somebody because now they're entering the the bookstore. Right, right. You know, so now this is like an intellectual place. Well, and then you know, some <laughs> this is like it, it doesn't seem correct, and I'm not I'm not saying that it is, but I do I did kind of examine during that time, like. And I have words and language for it now that I didn't have then. But the vibrational quality of a bookstore versus a fast mm-hmm. food joint, because oh, yeah. a fast food joint, totally. while it's providing like food for people on the go, which is like a good thing in some ways, it's like usually not mm-hmm. the highest quality of food. It's food that's being prepared quickly and hastily, um, and people yeah. are people are buying it because they're usually stressed out and they don't have time right. to make something for yeah. themselves, right? So that's yeah. a different vibrational energy than going into a bookstore to find some some learning and some knowledge, knowledge. for yourself, you know? Yeah, or even if it's entertainment, but it's still um, expanding yourself. Yes. And it's true. Like just you saying that, it's it, they're both digesting something. They're both taking something right. in. Right, But one is is a totally different vibration. And also that you're surrounded by the muses <laughs> that tapped into all the people. So like all these things are singing around. Yes. You. Yes. Oh yeah. I started. And, and then you had a different title. So you're holding yourself. Exactly. Right. Yeah. All these. Yes. Are and my, and my quirky personality started to be something that, you know, was appreciated by the bookstore instead of like the Wendy's right. uniform yeah. where I just had to look like everybody else and like, take out your nose mm. ring. Don't, you know, now suddenly the bookstore yeah. was like, Oh, be your quirky self. That's good for business. People will want to come see what you're wearing mm-hmm. today if you're, you know, dressed cute or something, right? It started to be this, yeah, the life of an yeah, artist. Yeah, this artistic yeah. bohemian kind of reality versus, you know, like the rat race. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, over that course of the next year, I really kind of gradually found more of a will to live. I started mm-hmm. to feel more like, okay, you know, like. I matter. Like you were, you're different and your quirkiness My mattered. Quirk, and, and it was valuable and that I yeah. mattered and that I was appreciated for, you know, my, my individual outlook and my, my, my smartness, my intelligence, right. That that was something mm-hmm. that was really appreciated in this environment, you know, not just by my managers, my coworkers, but by people who would come in and interact with me. Um, so all of that really created this sense in me that like, I want to live. And so I had already started this, but I got even more serious about staying away from eating things I was allergic to, <laughs> right? Like that's the way I yeah. put it is like, I just got to stop eating those things I'm allergic allergic to. I got to stop eating things that I know make me feel bad. Um, and yeah. so that became like a continued focus. It wasn't perfect. I still ate things, you know, that like if I ate at a restaurant, like I really didn't know and I would feel sick later, mm-hmm. but I just started wanting to do that more. The other thing was I really wanted to quit smoking and I wanted, and not just, not just, um, cigarettes, but I, I was starting to feel like I had a really negative relationship with marijuana. Um, it would Mm. put me, you know, I thought it was going to like chill me out and it would actually put me into like a state of neurosis or depression that, uh, was like intensified. And then I I had to wait like five hours to like get out of it until it wore off. You know, there wasn't like an, I totally got high. And then I was like, Oh crap, this is not fun. I wish I could unhigh myself. Yeah. And I couldn't, I just have like, to sit through why it. Why am I feeling even more intense, right? Where it's like the twitch in my eye now is like, oh, oh my God, yeah, yeah. don't touch I my know. eye. And, my and gout course, you know, people were trying to help me be like, oh, you're anxious. That's because you're smoking too much sativa. Here, have some indica. And then I'd be like, 
I'm, uh, I became the couch and I feel like a brick and I can't move and it's scary. Did my brain die? You know, like, you know, and they'd be like, oh, well, that's just because Indica, here, have some sativa. And then I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it was yeah. a whole thing. And I was just like tired of it. I was like, I need to just not do this. Like, so, you know, I was, I was really working towards that in a lot of ways, but I, I didn't really know how to quit anything because I had never quit anything. Right. So uh, I decided to do a New Year's resolution. So January 1st, 2008, I quit everything cold turkey. Wow. Yes, after 18 months of heavy use of marijuana, cigarettes, and alcohol, I just stopped everything. And I started waking up at 7 a.m. and drinking carrot juice, which I think is super cute now. That <laughs> 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 That's like what 19-year-old me yeah. was like, this is how you do it. Right. You know, you don't want to do yeah. that stuff. Just don't do it. Just drop it. And, right. you know, yep. and then just wake up at 7 a.m. and drink carrot juice. That'll that'll fix everything, <laughs> you know. Um, so that was January 1st, 2008 that I did that. And I started feeling really good, like really, really good, mm. like really, really, really good. Yeah. And what I recognize now is that I was slowly building over the course of that month of January into mania. Mm. And my – I started – I started, everything started opening in me and my energy field and kind of opening too fast. Um, and you know, and because you've, you, your whole life before that was really numbed and just like, you know, suppressed, right. With with just everything, your body trying to heal and fight all this. Right. Right. And now you didn't have any of that toxin. I was, I stopped taking, I started eating things that were, you know, I started eating the, the right food, AKA stuff I wasn't allergic to, which meant no processed food or very little processed food. Right. And I started yeah. eating carrot juice and I started like stopping all the other things. So I just stopped all of the toxic intake. And mm-hmm. so the result was like, wow, colors were brighter. Like it was like mm-hmm. a amazing experience in some ways. My mind started working in this way that like I'd never experienced before. That was really acute. That was really like powerful. Like I, I was this huge creative flow was coming through, but like I said, it actually was building into what, you know, clinically would be defined as mania. I stopped sleeping. I started staying up all night Mm. writing in my journal or doing like art or dancing, or I was like, I was in a state of bliss, you know, where I was just like really Mm -hmm. in this realm, but not necessarily like balanced. I was like too far on the other end. You could call it like my Kundalini yeah. like rose way too fast. Yeah. Like an awakening right. that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. And towards the, you know, end of that that mania, um, it was intense because people were responding to me in this really I mean, obviously I was being this really hyper magical person with all of the creative right. flow in my aura and my aura was really opened up. And, and so dogs, babies, small children were like super attracted to me. It was, mm. it, and, and I was, and, and people, especially people who were suffering were super attracted to me. Like I would just be walking down mm. the street and I'd make eye contact with someone. And like within a few minutes, they'd be telling me their life story and we would be hugging and I would mm-hmm. be like hugging them with like my whole heart you know, and then they'd Mm. want to see me again, or they'd come see me at the bookstore. Like it was intense because I didn't know how to be this open. I didn't know how to be this seen. 
and my energy levels mm-hmm. were expanding faster than my body could actually handle. Again. Again. <laughs> this I was an energetically. So, and the other thing that I didn't realize when this was, you know, going on was that all of the toxicity, the emotional um and physically, you know, physical toxicity, but also all of the emotional, psychological stuff that I had been pushing down for a long time. Now that I didn't have these substances, you know, pushing everything down, it started coming up. And that was also part of the Mm. mania is that as the mania continued, I started to not just feel this sense of like extreme optimism, but I started to feel that imbalance of like paranoia of like being afraid Mm -hmm. that everybody could see me and that everybody was so attracted to me and all of the pressure that I felt Mm. to like maintain this magical person. This is like such a mirror of you physically that happened when you were eight to 11. To be seen by the world. And so, you know, it was, it was intense. And then there came obviously like a breaking point where, you know, this was after like about a month, a little over a month of like, not a lot of sleep, a lot of super intense transcended experiences, a lot of new people in my life being drawn to me that I had Mm -hmm. what would clinically be called a psychotic break. And it really was over the course of like two days where I don't think I slept at all. Um, And I went on a date or was some kind of event that I went to with uh, this guy that I had started dating And to be honest, I don't remember all the circumstances around it, but I remember how I perceived it at the time was that we went to this gathering where everybody was really morose and sad because somebody had committed suicide. And I don't know for sure whether that's true or whether that was part of my, you know, kind of my, the way that I was processing things at the time, that that was what, what I understood about the situation, right? that somebody had committed suicide. And that was like, that was like a really big trigger for me that night. And I like started losing it. Like I, and by losing it, I mean, like I started actually losing my identity. I started not Mm. knowing who I was anymore. And I started feeling all of this collective sorrow and this collective energy. And I started speaking it. I started like, you know, what, what's described as like a crazy person, (laughs) you know, saying and speaking Mm -hmm. things that don't have anything to do with them that seem transpersonal. So I, I scared the crap out of this guy that I started, (laughs) that I started dating because I think at one point we were having some kind of like sexual encounter and I just like sat up in the bed and I was like, I am chaos. Oh, wow. And I was like channeling and I was, I was, in yeah. like this really as you understand as I understand now, now at the time on. it yeah. was just like whoa like what's she on you know mm. um and the truth was I was I was not on anything you know it was like the opposite of on something but yeah, yeah so that that happened that night and then the next morning like I don't think I slept at all and the next morning I I actually remember all of the a lot of this but I remember it from like a third party perspective almost like I was watching myself mm-hmm. from the outside I had a hard Mm -hmm. time, like just communicating normally. I was speaking in rhymes, riddles. I was speaking in song lyrics and Mm. I was running around the apartment doing all of these things that were symbolic of what I was experiencing internally. Like at one point I put on like a tie, like I had this tie collection and I put on a tie and I like pulled it tight around my neck 
you know, and like was like demonstrating this, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was definitely like scary to people who knew me as like, what is happening to this person? Like, where is yeah. Amy? Yeah. You know? Um, and my mom, you were like playing out like this performance, performance. of what was inside, yes, because I didn't have any other you. way at this moment to communicate it. I, my, my ability oh, to man. communicate wow. it kind of disappeared. And all I had was yeah. song lyrics and rhymes and riddles and, you know, physical performance of what was going on internally, what I was experiencing. Um, mm. And so my mom ended up coming, I think I called her and she showed up and she spent the whole day with me trying to figure out what was going on with me. She took me to the home of like a healer that she knew who was also a clinical psychologist. And this woman was just a very magical woman. I I think I had met her one other time before. Um, And, you know, her, she sat with me for a while and I had brought this like little bag of stuff to like, to, to show like with little toys and stuff, like to try to explain what I was experiencing because I didn't have words. So I had like a little stuffed animal bunny in a black bag and I was putting the little white bunny in the black bag and I was doing all this kind of <laughs> clowny stuff to try to explain to her what I was experiencing. Um, and she didn't really understand, but she understood that I was in a lot of pain. And she mm-hmm. said that she told my mother that she said, I think that she's experiencing a lot of pain and she is very deeply sad about something. Um, and while she was having that conversation with my mother, I went into her bathroom and I cut off all my hair, wow. which, you know, was, is interesting because I think either right before this or right after this, Britney Spears had done something similar. Oh yeah. So what later, yeah. this is kind of a it's kind of an aside, but when I went back to work like months later, they were like, Oh, did you hear Amy pulled a Britney? Like there was already uh, this kind of like language around like having a meltdown and cutting off all your hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but like this is not something that, you know, has only happened to me, you know, like Joan of Arc or mm-hmm. there's all these other yep. female characters that have done similar things, right, throughout history. And it's yeah. about this, I think, yeah. uh a taking off of an identity, a taking off of an, a, yes. a sense of self that you were carrying right. that is no longer relevant or no longer serving yeah. you. So I did that, which it's a clean exactly, slate. yeah. I did that, but it certainly did nothing to prove to my mother that I, you know, was okay and was getting better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember having this very clear intention that I just wanted to get like one of the dogs. My mom had pugs, and I wanted this specific dog to be with me, and I wanted to go mm. grieve and play guitar, and that was like my thing that I like wanted to do. I was like, this is, this is a thing that I need to do. Um, But my behavior was so erratic and disturbing to the people around me, like my roommates and um, my mother, that there came a point when my mother just didn't know what to do anymore. And she ended up calling the police Mm -hmm. Um, and the police Mm -hmm. came over and observed me for a while. And I remember being just completely at a loss for uh, how to explain what I was experiencing because again, I was in and out of my identity. There were times when I was like, I knew Mm -hmm. who I was and I knew where I was. And then there were moments where Mm -hmm. I didn't know any of that. I just knew the stories and the feelings that were swirling around inside of me. And who I was, was like separate from that was like non-existent when it came to just the narrative or the experience of what I was feeling internally. Um, Do you remember what that felt like? 
like now looking back or was it more of like you remember that that happened so you're putting it together? I remember because I wrote about it quite a bit immediately after the months following this experience. I wrote about it and um, I talked about it with a therapist. And so that kind of has solidified more of the memory of it in my brain because I had, I had a pro I processed it a little bit at that time. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't remember all of it. Some of it is a blur, but I do remember certain key points, like a police officer. I remember where he was sitting in my living room. I remember him kind of Mm -hmm. bewildered trying to understand what I was saying. And I remember like drawing on like a whiteboard, like what probably looked like googly gook pictures Mm -hmm. and words to try to explain what was going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, at a certain point in the middle of the night, um, an ambulance came and some people came in and they grabbed me and they took me in the ambulance because I was not seeming like I was seeming like I was perhaps a danger to myself or a danger to others. I was I was not making mm-hmm. sense. I was too far gone at that point. And I remember mm-hmm. When they took me into the ambulance, they gave me something. Maybe it was Valium or some kind of relaxant. And there was this moment where I came to or I like realized what was happening. And I felt like there was like this boom right here in like the center of my chest, like a solar, like my solar plexus center of my chest. It, I literally thought for a moment that I had been shot with a gun in wow. the chest. And my whole body was like in shock and I was laying in the ambulance. And I remember asking someone to give me something to soak up the blood. And I have no idea whether this actually happened or whether it was a fantasy at this point, someone handed me a little Mm -hmm. white washcloth that was a square. And I was putting this little white washcloth on my chest and it was soaking up the blood or really it was like the energy Mm -hmm. that was pouring out of my heart. Yeah. And I kept filling up. I kept filling up the towel. It was full now. I needed another one. And so from that point, that time in the ambulance, and, and, and then basically for the next few days, I don't really remember things from a first-person perspective. I remember things almost like a dream where you're watching yourself mm-hmm. and it's like a third-person perspective. Because I, at that point, I like really did lose identity. I was, I was having, you know, maybe some people would describe like an astral experience where I was separate from my body and I was looking down at the, my body and my body seemed, um, haunted. And I, and I don't know for certain whether there were other entities that kind of came or, and acted things out or whether those were entities or those were, you know, other terms for it might be like traumatic experiences that were like stored in my body or that I had taken yeah. on from other people that were now right. coming out and being expelled yeah. in the form of, yeah. you know, like my behavior. Um, mm-hmm. But it, yeah, they had to drive me that night um, all the way to Bend, which if you know, Southern Oregon, it's like a three hour drive and it was in the middle of winter because they didn't have any room psych mm-hmm. ward at the Medford hospital. And um yeah, I had like a super weird, trippy experience <laughs> um, driving through in this car, this police car in the middle of the night, um, 
to Bend. And then I stayed the night in a private room in Bend and had, a, again, a very psychedelic, super trippy experience that, like I said, I, I mostly remember from like a, a dream state, like a third party state. Um, and yeah, then I eventually like the next day was transferred back to Medford, another three hour drive. And I was in the psych ward for 10 days starting on February 11th. Right. So there was January 1st. I stopped everything cold Turkey. Wow. So this really accelerated really fast. And, you know, I was told later by an energy worker that all of my chakras had just blown open all at once. Mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. like, it was too much energy for, for my body to handle. And it started yeah. expelling. Like I said, it started all the stuff that I'd been pushing down my stuff and other people's stuff started coming out. And so the experiences yeah. that I can remember as I started, you know, I was, I was kind of coming in and out. I would have moments of clarity where I like knew who I was and I would be like super confused. Like, why am I here? Like, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. What, what's going mm-hmm. on? And then I would disappear again and it would be this enactment of some, some energy or some issue. And it's crazy because at the time I had no idea of what was going on, but looking back on some things that I experienced um, and it's taken me years to, you know, process and, and and go like, Oh, what was that? Like, why was I having that memory? Mm -hmm. Did that actually happen to me? And I've actually began, began to understand that some of the things that I was reliving or living in my, my state of, um, loss of identity were not actually things that happened to me. Mm -hmm. I was experiencing Mm -hmm. things that may have happened to my friend that passed. I was experiencing things that may have happened to my mother. I was experiencing things other people had experienced because when I actually have investigated and done detective work and looked back on my life, it's like, I don't think that ever happened to me. I think I took that in. Yeah. And then I, I expelled it when I went through this deep spiritual clearing. So during the time, the 10 days that I was in the psych ward, um, I, as I started to come back to myself, it was extremely frightening because I didn't remember how exactly how I had gotten there. I remembered some of the experiences and my internal experience, but I didn't remember it from like a place of having any responsibility or connection to what had happened or what I'd said, just that it, just that it had happened. And it was terrifying. And, um, they had me on like a little cocktail of drugs that I don't really even know like what, what they were. Um, but it became extremely difficult to poop. painfully difficult. Um, Mm. And there were moments that I was just in so much physical pain because like that needed to happen. And I didn't know how long it had been since that happened. Um, Mm. And the the medication that I was taking was super dehydrating. I was like always extremely thirsty. Um, And I was not eating very much. I was kind of afraid to eat because of, you know, not knowing what was in the cafeteria food. Oh, um, yeah. And then at one point, some food was given to me at, in the cafeteria that had a sticker on it that said like dairy-free, soy-free, and gluten-free. And I was like, why am I gluten-free now? <laughs> like, mm. I didn't get it. I was like, okay, maybe this is okay yeah. to eat, you know? So like I ate it. And um, 
but but during that process of like being in a lot of physical pain, being really scared, I I met I met God or I met Source. Mm-hmm. Um, I met this mm-hmm. light, mm-hmm. light. It was literally light that I felt coming in through my eyelashes. I would lay in my bed and I would close my eyes partially, and the light would just flicker in my eyes. And I would go into this really peaceful state, which I, I didn't know what it was at the time. I had never ex- experimented or known anything about these altered states, really. Um, but I realized now I was going into trance and I, my mm-hmm. nervous system was going into a state of recovery. Um, and it was so healing. And I would, I would do that as much as I could while I was like in the hospital. I would just lay down and I would be with this deeply loving um, ecstatic, beautiful love, just, just love. This energy was love and it was mm. holding me. Um, and it was caring for me and it was helping to, to make me feel, heal me, help me feel safe. Yeah. And I had no words for it. I didn't know what, what to call it. Um, and it was, it was such a powerful experience that I, it, that stayed with me even after I left the hospital that I would go into this state and I would connect with light and I would feel this sense of being deeply held and loved um, in, in a way that was beyond, like it was at this point, I was back in my identity. So it was like, I knew that it was me, Amy, but it was also like bigger than that. It was, it was me including all of with yeah that had happened to Amy that were not Amy. Yeah. It included and encompassed and loved all of that. It didn't I didn't have to none of no no part of me, even my transpersonal trauma experiences had to be separate from the love that this this light source energy provided. All of it was held. All of it was was um understood. So yeah, but like I said, I had I had no language for it at the time. I was just like, I guess I'm crazy, and I'm just this like weird person who likes to lay with my eyes half closed. <laughs> like I didn't know, I had no idea. I feel really and I good. Just, like, I yeah. was just like, I I guess I'm just a crazy person, you know. Like I was, and I was a, a real fear mm. that I had, you know, because my grandmother on my mother's side actually struggled with schizophrenia throughout the 1950s mm. um, and 60s, and she went through electroshock treatment. And struggled, you know, her whole life with no. what I understand now is her having this um, sensitivity and this mystical connection that she didn't yeah. have the right environment and the right nurturing to allow that to mm-hmm. come into her life in a healthy way. And so it showed up in these like dark ways, you know, so that was yeah. a real fear that me and my family, my mother had that, you know, I would be one of one of these people who at 19 now has schizophrenia and I'm in and out of mental hospitals for the rest of my life. That was a real fear, you know, mm-hmm. that I had. Um, as I started to come back to myself, I realized like the only way that I'm getting out of this psych ward is by showing the people here that I'm not crazy and, yeah. and that I'm safe to go home. And I, at this point, wasn't sure that I wasn't crazy, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I was sure that but you couldn't was, speak your what you was going No, on. I, I yeah. was like, but I'm sure I don't want to stay here. I'm sure this is not the place yeah. for me. And I'm sure I want to go home. I'm not sure that I'm not crazy, but I'm sure that I'm okay to go home. So I have to show them that. Mm-hmm. So the way that I did that was I actually put a clamp on my throat. I recognize now, like it was an actual energetic thing that I did where I clamped and 
closed, put a clamp on my throat chakra because I couldn't trust that I wouldn't say something that would be perceived as nutty or disturbing. And so I sealed my mouth and I remember physically tightening my jaw and swallowing things that felt like they needed to come out of me so that I could show them that I was okay and could go home. And to be honest, it worked. I stopped saying crazy (laughs) stuff. They started seeing that I was okay and I left the hospital. But that clamp actually continued to stay on my throat for a long time because I wasn't even really doing it intentionally. It was this unconscious, like, survival mechanism. To keep you safe. Yes. Yeah. Um, And, you know, leaving the hospital, I ended up finding out that it was my mother who had asked the hospital to stop giving me gluten because she had been doing her due diligence with looking at, you know, the connection between, again, diet and these experiences, you know, these physiological experiences. Um, And she had found some books and some research that had been done about the connection between um, celiac and gluten sensitivity and different psychological disorders, including bipolar and schizophrenia. And I think there's actually a, a good amount of more research and information that's available to people, including how um, some of those, uh, some sometimes people's sensitivity to gluten can impair the feli in their gut, and then they don't absorb things in the same way, right? The, those kind of things being related to different kinds of mental health challenges. I haven't done as much research about this as I could, but I know that there's a lot more mm-hmm. that exists now than there did in 2008 about the connection between yeah. diet and um, different psychiatric disorders. So that was my mother again, kind of stepping forward and saying like, you know, nutritional healing, you know, what you consume is part of what's impacting you and, you know, choosing to consume something that is going to benefit, that's going to help you um, versus something that may not be helping you is like part of this path to, to healing yourself. Um, So I took, took that on. And when I left the hospital, I was super committed to staying away from dairy, soy, and gluten. Like my life depended on it. Yeah. I I mean, you really, (laughs) like you did not want to go back there. And if this had something to do with it, you were now staying. Exactly. And I um, decided, you know, no substances whatsoever. Like I basically made this agreement with myself that I wasn't going to take a sip of alcohol until I was 21, which is cute Mm -hmm. because like 21 is actually the drinking age, right? But it just shows yeah, you right. like where I was coming from, you know, was like a yeah. teenage party, you know, mentality. Mm-hmm. So I made that commitment to myself that I wasn't going to take any substances. And I really didn't want to stay on the antipsychotic drugs because of the way they were making my body feel this intense. Un- and you couldn't poop. And I couldn't poop. <laughs> and this intense, unquenchable thirst. And I actually, if I, yeah. if there's some pictures of me when I first got out of the hospital, I was jaundiced. Because the antipsychotic they had me on, which was called Geodon, it's actually several years later was taken off the market completely for causing severe liver damage in wow. people who were taking it. And I was already experiencing some of that only like, you know, a month or two into taking it daily that I was getting yellow and I was, I was suffering my heavy, dark circles under my eyes. Um, so I really knew that I didn't want to take this antipsychotic anymore, um, but I didn't know, you know, I was like, but I got to do something. So don't eat any dairy, soy, or gluten. And around that same time, right? So I came out of the mental hospital at the, or not mental, it wasn't a mental hospital, it was the psych ward. I came out of the psych ward um, 
at the end of February. In March, my dad, who had been practicing Bikram yoga for a while, invited me to come to the studio and practice for free. Like he would pay for my classes. And Mm -hmm. um, I'd never done yoga really. (laughs) And I didn't feel at all confident or strong in my body. I felt really weak, actually. Um, But he assured Mm -hmm. me that I didn't have to do anything. I could just lay on the floor and be warm because I was having a really hard time. I'd lost a lot of weight rapidly and I was feeling cold all of the time. Mm So the hot room, the steam. Yes. So he, you know, assured me that nobody would judge me, that I could just go lay on the floor and just do whatever I felt like doing. So I started doing that in March. Mm -hmm. I went to the studio and I just told myself, I was like, I'm just going to do this three to four times a week indefinitely (laughs) because I don't know what else to do with myself. You know, thankfully, my job at Barnes and Noble, they, you know, they saw what I had as a health crisis and I had insurance to cover, you know, some of the, some of the challenges I was having. And I got to go back to work on like an abbreviated schedule while I recovered. So again, I still had this environment, these environments of the yoga studio where there was this attitude of non-judgment and I could just lay on the floor if I wanted to, and I didn't have to do anything if I didn't want to. And then the work environment that was willing to support me and work with me till I got back on my feet, you know, didn't, I wouldn't lose my full-time position because I had this, this breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an, another huge blessing in my life is have, having those kind of resources available to me, you know, having parents that said, you know, you can heal this in a natural way. You know, you don't yeah. have to take those drugs if they're hurting your body. Um, and that's not to say that sometimes people don't, you know, need medication. When I was 11, that thyroid medication was super helpful. It was part of like a toolkit that I had, you know? And so I don't have like a disrespect for that completely. I think that there are other ways. And if you're addressing something holistically, you know, it can't just be a drug. It can't just be a pill. There has to be something else that you're doing that's going to support your healing process beyond just following a pill, right? But um, yeah. at this time, you know, that antipsychotic, and I think they had me on Ativan too, which is a pretty like heavy um, anti-anxiety drug. Those were, I could just feel in my body. Every time I took them, it was like white noise going off in my head. Um, mm-hmm. And I would just get really, 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 really thirsty and feel super unwell. Um, yeah. And when I wasn't taking them, I didn't feel crazy. I just felt scared. I just felt terrified, you know? And so I would lay and I would be with, be with the light, it would be with this, this light meditation that I had intuitively started doing. Beautiful. So after three months, right, of going to the yoga studio, I was actually doing the poses because you can't just lay there. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> Especially with, with hot yoga, with Bikram yoga. It's so, it's so yang. They're so intense. They're mm-hmm. so passionate. Everybody mm-hmm. there is like working really hard. So of course there's this like kind of yeah. martial energy that you can't like not do yeah. anything. So after three months, you know, right. I was doing most things, you know, to the best of my ability. And it's predictable yes. because it's certain po- over and Same over and then there's a time where mm-hmm. it's finished. Yeah. And what I was finding, Even each pose. everything is super yeah. regimented. Yeah. Yeah. And I was doing yeah. that, like I said, three to four times a week. And I was, you know, eating, eating more whole foods, although that wasn't the goal at the time. The goal was just don't eat certain things, having a restricted diet, mm. you know, yeah. and, it, it was a really powerful recipe for self-healing because after three months of that, I started feeling better in my body and, and stronger in my body than I ever had in my whole life. 
right? Like I'd had these little glimmers of what it meant to feel healthy, right? But I'd always reverted back to like an old pattern. But this was like a huge turning point for me because after three months, it was like I felt like a new person. Mm-hmm. And now I had reliable tools, Bikram yoga or hot yoga, and eating eating this way to, to support yeah. me. It was like I knew what to do. And that's really important, I think, when people are going through a transformational process to have the appropriate tools so that they know what to do, mm-hmm. whether those are, you know, literal things like, you know, what what they're choosing to eat or a yoga class or a meditation practice yeah. or for me it's Hannah somatics yeah. now is a very reliable tool that I use right but if you don't know what to use if you don't know what your tools are you know like anything just ends up whatever's in in front of you you know the <laughs> whatever's in front of you becomes the tool and then there's not a lot of yep. like um, I guess certainty about the outcome when you're using a mm-hmm. n- not necessarily reliable tool right? So after three months of this, I told myself, you know, if I'm still doing this yoga in three years, I'm going to go to teacher training. Mm -hmm. Because some part of me knew it's going to take me three years to really have this yoga in my body. It's going to take me three years to actually feel like I'm even ready for that, you know? Yeah. Um, And lo and behold, three years later, I was still doing it and I was loving it. And I went to teacher training in 2011. And that was another like step in my life that sent me on traveling all around the world and having this really unconventional, you know, nomadic lifestyle for about four years, actually. Um, so teaching yoga all over teaching the world, yoga all over the world, teaching hot yoga. Yeah. In a lot of different countries. And, you know, I loved it. Yoga was was really like the, a huge part of who I was at that time because it had it had been mm-hmm. my antipsychotic. It had yeah. been my antipsychotic. And you were about 21 about I that was time? 23 when I went to the yoga training okay. or 22, 22, and then turned mm-hmm. 23 that summer. And then I was okay. 19 when I had had this psychotic break, which, you know, the thing is, is it, it was in, you know, in clinical terms, it was a, a psychotic break or a nervous breakdown or whatever you want to call it. But in spiritual terms, it was an awakening. It was a it was yeah. a kundalini awakening. It was an awakening, and and maybe you have something to say about that with your experience you had. Yeah, and 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 even I think uh, you actually were. You even said it before, like channeling. But I think you were. Um, you you were ex- a medium, <laughs> you know, and possibly for your friend who committed suicide because there was such a a. Uh, that moment possibly when he was calling out, you know, energetically to everybody, maybe saying, sorry, you know, um, that you tapped into. And then that like connection kind of, it, it, it latched on, mm-hmm. you know, because your guilt of, I should yes. have, I mean, I know, you know, even my, uh, niece's boyfriend committed suicide and he was this sweet kid and he um you know he just he didn't share at parties how he was feeling you know um so we really didn't know the depth of it and just the guilt of like why didn't I talk to him more I saw that he was kind of just standing there and why couldn't I you know and just all that guilt that happens anyway with anybody who who is close to somebody who commits suicide like that. Um, oh, it's time to pray at noon. I put in a little <laughs> prayer. Um, okay. So 
I could like all these things were a recipe for your just the purging of the toxins. Mm-hmm. You being an empath and highly sensitive, taking on other people's pain from young, you know, um, and then also just your experience of of everything, like everything was extra, like everything was faster, right. everything was more, everything was bigger, and so when you finally really purged yourself of all these things, it was, I I imagine this being like that you're like you exploded and the true soul essence, Amy just shot out. Yeah. And not being able to really hold that power, you know, in a body, but also probably healing other people without knowing it just everybody who was around you all the people that came to you and and gave you their sorrow and you were able to hold them and then you couldn't contain that nor did you know how to actually like have a boundary and protection around you and transmute Um, it and then transmute it and transmute it exactly and that's something that usually happens with dabbling the process you know feeling upset but just being that tender age of like really from from child to adult that symbolic age of leaving high school really the house into becoming a a, uh, an adult all that was just brewing and ready for this powerful um energy to explode and and when you said you didn't know who you know, if that was really somebody that handed you that, I just, I, I saw like your guide, your angel, like holding you, like, it's going to be okay. And just keep giving you like that heart space and, and then being held with being able to, to see and feel what you needed to actually to heal. And, and that even with all this, that you knew that shutting down a powerful center that possibly you would have been somebody who just channels, right. you know, light language and all this stuff, like, you know, um, but that you knew to live in your world, in your environment, it was too much too soon. And that that couldn't, that, that couldn't happen or else you would be labeled. And also you were afraid because you, even if um, there were probably moments where you understood, but nobody oh, yeah, else. Did. Totally, everybody else was crazy, you know, because they couldn't see the things you were seeing and understand this stuff, you know. But you knew enough that still, you were loving enough to all your family that you saw how scared they were, that you were able to like, okay, let me, let me, let me shut this down a little bit. Let me contain this somewhat. But then you still had avenues to help you expand in a way that was slower. Right. Yeah. That, that wasn't as intense or that wouldn't draw so much attention to me because there was definitely a lot of fear around being seen, especially if I'm being seen in an unfavorable light, which, you know, as, as a, a a crazy girl or as a, you know, fat kid or any of these labels that we put on to Right. a witch, whatever it was yep. to get labeled something yep. and looked at in that unfavorable light when it's like, you know, are these things true about me? Like, am I different? Mm-hmm. Yes. 
am I mm-hmm. saying something mm-hmm. that is like perhaps not understandable by some people? Yes. Like the answers mm-hmm. to those questions are yes, but am I this label? No. Exactly. And, to, and, exactly. and I didn't want to be put in a box. Um, and I also didn't have but, the language you know, to really explain it either to somebody. I didn't have people in my world who were talking about this kind of thing about being an empath and, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that really hasn't come into, um, you know, common language until really recently. You know, it was still something that really wasn't understood. It was just like too much. Yeah. It was just yeah. too much. But I think of like even... And and I, I want you to go back into your story, but just like all these things are coming in where I'm thinking like of myself at that age and that I did have this like expansive experience, but it was, it was almost like the opposite in a way where I, I went into it. Like I knew mm. that this was a place where I wanted to detach from the world and it was actually too join the uh, cloistered nuns. Mm. So I shaved my head, <laughs> I took off my piercings, I stopped, you know, um, but it was a, a, a different route, but it was definitely still like, I, I could hear the trees, I could hear, you know, and, and I still have those experiences, but not like this, where I was like, floating mm. all the time, and, and could feel like the everything and myself. Right. And really being in love with with everything, um, and all like the sages, the mystics. If you read their story, you would say they were psychotic. Yeah, yeah, oh, <laughs> and you know a lot of these things. So it's like these transcendental experiences that humans are capable of having. Sometimes they just are super accelerated, Mm -hmm. like I think what, you know, what you experienced, but how this actually was your pathway to really understand like, okay, how do you live here on planet earth? How do you live in this body? And how do you even enjoy life? Yeah, no, it it was a huge awakening for me. And it's funny because uh, the the times when I was traveling around the world and I would meet different people and, Oh, now that was an expansion of my mind through my traveling. So I started learning more Mm -hmm. about, you know, different spiritual practices, different views on things. And I would hear people talking about like their ayahuasca journeys, or I'd hear people talking (laughs) about their experiences with plant medicine. And a part of me would go, Oh yeah, that's kind of, that's, I met, I met God. Yeah. Like part of me, they, they tapped into it through the plant, the plant and part LA. of me would go yeah. oh that's like kind of what happened to me except i did it my brain did it like on its own like without you know and i would i wouldn't necessarily share you know i wouldn't necessarily tell people because mm-hmm. i didn't know like whether it would seem kind of crazy that i had that experience without a plant you medicine didn't that wasn't in a ceremony yeah. you know that would make them now see me differently as maybe like an unstable person right so I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't volunteer that information with people most of the time, but I made a note in my me- mind. I was like, oh, okay. Like people, people have, have these experiences. experiences. And it's funny because I never felt, I had opportunities, plenty of opportunities, but I never felt this really strong pull to do a ceremonial plant medicine like ayahuasca because part of me was like, oh yeah, I, I've already, like, I have already had that initiation. Like there's, yeah, I've already done that. Like I don't feel this strong yeah. urge, this pull or this call. 
because I'm already in connection with source in this way mm-hmm. from when I was 19 years old. Like that, that, that love and that connection to source never left me. It's, it's always with me from, you know, the, my mm-hmm. point of discovery onward. Um, you know, and I think it was always there and it's always there around us it's yeah. about whether or not we can connect and tap in and acknowledge and feel that that as it's happening, you know? So, so yeah, it was a huge turning point for me in my life. I, I think of it as the breakdown that became the breakthrough. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, one of the biggest spiritual transformations of my life and set me on the path of doing yoga and nutritional healing. Um, and you know, it hasn't been like a perfect trajectory in, you know, this direction mm-hmm. during my twenties and traveling the world, I started experiencing a lot of physical pain again, a lot of chronic muscular pain. It actually started my second year practicing Bikram yoga that I started having issues with my left leg and my left hip, um, that would kind of come and go. Um, and there'd be some days where it felt really painful and I would, I, I, it would like my left leg like felt empty or something, or like someone was pulling on it, mm. kind of felt pulled out of the socket. Um, and I, I didn't really know like how to do anything about it, except just keep doing my yoga, you know, and keep following mm-hmm. the directions and the teachers who, you know, knew more than me. But that eventually escalated into, you know, daily chronic tension and pain that while I was doing my yoga, I often felt some relief from it. But then after mm-hmm. the yoga high wore off, I would be in a lot of pain. And this went on and on for years while I was traveling the world. Now, I understand it now to be a complex issue. It wasn't just that I was pushing myself really hard in yoga. That was part of it. But it was also that I came into my yoga practice with accumulated tension and trauma that I had already experienced tension in my body Mm -hmm. and misalignments in my body that were a result of my life experiences prior to starting yoga. So I didn't come into yoga as a blank slate with a perfect posture. I came into yoga with all of my baggage. And then the way that I practiced my yoga, in a lot of ways, it was a, it was a fearful way because yoga was my antipsychotic. So it meant like do this or something bad will happen. Eating healthy food was also fear-driven for me. It was like, eat well or something bad will happen. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of fear that was running the show behind my, you know, supposedly really healthy, you know, beautifully uh, intentioned actions, right? But that baseline of tension and fear in my body was was showing up as chronic pain and tension and basically turning, you know, all of my, even my yoga practice into kind of a nightmare at a certain point of like, just why am I in so much pain? Why do I feel like an old person at 25 years mm. old? Like, why am I limping up the stairs right now to teach a class? Um, and this brings me to an important thing. And, you know, as I work, I work a lot with coaches, teachers of all kinds, healers of all kinds. And sometimes there's a shame that we experience. Maybe you can speak to this too, about not having like, address the issues in ourselves that we're helping guide other people through. Like if we're still struggling with this and like, it's okay to be struggling with stuff for sure. But to be a yoga Mm -hmm. teacher who was like limping up the stairs in a lot of pain and then guiding people through a practice that was supposed to heal them and alleviate their pain. I felt like a fraud. I felt inauthentic and I felt ashamed of my, of, of being of the pain that I was having. 
Um, Mm-hmm. And I would share it with people, you know, there's people in my, my travels who can, you know, remember how much pain I was in and me being kind of lost about it. Um, and I was also searching, I was searching a lot for answers. What's wrong with my alignment in this posture? I got like really into like getting my alignment perfect in my yoga. Cause that was the problem. You know, how can I, what kind of body work do I need to do? What kind of energetic work do I need to do to release this pain? What does this mean? It's on my left side. It's my feminine energy. Like, how can I unpack that? You know, I was really searching everywhere for solutions because it's completely demoralizing to be in pain, especially when you're supposed to be living this glamorous life traveling around the world. <laughs> yeah. Every step that I'm taking is like a reminder that like something's not okay, you know? Did you feel like you just couldn't get a break? <laughs> oh, Like you were doing all the things that yes. you were supposed to be doing mm-hmm. that finally were going to what everybody else probably seemed to be coming out of yoga as like healthier and better. And we can kind of talk about like that kind of misconception <laughs> as well, but but that's the view. Right. I'm sure you did experience your students like coming out healthier and, and feeling, feeling better, better and amazing. And talking about yeah. all the, their, the healing that they got from this yoga. And I mean, I had gotten healing from this yoga. Like I absolutely had. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I believed in it, but at the same time, like it wasn't the medicine that I needed anymore. I needed something, some other kind mm-hmm. of medicine. And I didn't know what that was. And I keep kept trying to make this yeah. yoga do, do the yeah. thing for me that I, I thought it was supposed to do. So it was kind of a, you know, at first I was blaming myself, you know, and then I started blaming the yoga and then I started blaming mm-hmm. myself again. And it kind of went back and forth until yeah. I realized like that this issue just is and nobody's to blame. <laughs> yeah. And that there are solutions that are, you know, something I hadn't thought to do before. And that solution ended up being Hannah somatic education, which my father had actually introduced me to around the same time that I started practicing Bikram yoga. He'd introduced me mm. to the concept of Hanasomatic education, and it just was not sexy to me. Yoga was like way <laughs> more appealing, yeah, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this slow movement, weird movement thing was like not attractive to yeah. me. And so, even though it was there, right. like the whole time, I didn't start utilizing it um, until you know, basically, I was you had to yeah, until I was desperate, until I was like in so much pain. Yeah. I'm like laying there on the floor, like unable to sleep, like at the yoga studio where I'm teaching full-time in like Norway and I'm just at a loss for what to do. Like, I don't know what to do other than take more pain meds or drink alcohol or again, start Mm -hmm. numbing myself in these ways that I had fallen back on doing because I was in so much physical pain. You know, of course we just look Mm -hmm. for a way to survive and that, yep. That involves, you know, sometimes uh, finish liqueur (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my dad kept telling me, do this sequence of movements. And so I would do them and they would help. You know, they take, they take my pain down like a couple of degrees and then I do them again and they would help. But, you know, at this time I was still like on a, a a cycle of fear where I, I couldn't stop moving. I had to keep moving. I had Mm -hmm. to keep doing my yoga Mm -hmm. because if I didn't, something bad was going to happen. Right. That was still going on. And so I was not really I wasn't really dedicating myself to undoing the tension. I was dedicating myself to making sure something bad wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Right? Which is kind of like they both have that, that intention of like healing or surviving, but there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, one of them's fear driven. And then actually like honoring my body and being gentle with myself and taking time to heal 
is is truly healing without this underlying fear motivating me, right? Mm. Um, and that's really what I, I I bring. I hope to bring into the experience that my clients have with me. You know, as I'm working one on one with people, and then now I'm also creating a program to work with groups, where inviting them to be motivated from a place of self love and from a desire mm-hmm. and a will to heal, um, rather than motivated by fear and something bad's going to happen. I'm going to if I don't keep exercising, I'm going to you know lose. I'm going to gain weight weight back back or or I'm going to, you know, uh, become old and like lose mobility if I don't move. Not attractive. Yeah. yeah. All All of these things, things, all these pressures that are fear driven for why people are like running themselves into the ground sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, you know. And that's just, that's so, that's so, everybody has their, their, their thing that they can't stop doing, whether it's like, you know, I can't not work because then, you know, who's going to pay the bills or, um, you know, somebody else is going to get the promotion. If it's fear driven, even if it's just underlying, even if those are real things, things. you know, you need work, you need money, but there's sometimes there's that point where it kind of shifts where you're in like, like a, uh, like a hamster wheel, you're just spinning over and over and you just can't get out and you're dizzy in this. And that is so relatable of you start with, I want to get healthier. I'm going to eat this way. And then it becomes so, it it, be, it becomes like a drug or it becomes like an addiction or, or even um, unsustainable, like a punishment. Yeah. yeah. Or even like a punishment, like I can't do this or I'm going to get fat yes. again. Yes. You know, and, 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 I already told everybody that I'm, you know, that I'm now working at the gym or I'm healthy or I've invited people and how can, like, how shameful. I'm losing my integrity I, and I'm, 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 exactly. I'm now like a bad, bad person, even if, you know, we're not or a hypocrite or, or all these things. Or phony. Yep. Yep. Yes. So. And exercise, the same thing can come absolutely. with. And then like, a, you know, you. I, I think like friends who do CrossFit are a perfect example. I mean, they're just banged up, sh- you know, shoulder needs surgery. That's the only reason why they've stopped, but then they're back in like, or, you know, any athlete you see like pro athletes, like this is something that I think is speaking to the human right. condition, right. you know, that we have the good intention, but if we don't have somebody to help us to point out these like blind spots and to be able to, keep it where it's at the pace that it needs to be. It's okay to go slow. And it's okay to just ask, is this still serving? Like what was nourishing at 19 isn't nourishing after you have a baby and you're, you know, in your thirties, right? Like isn't nourishing to, to somebody going through perimenopause like myself and, and having these different changes all of a sudden and being really looking at like, wow, my body really changed within the past couple of years. And I really wasn't paying attention as much as I should have. But now when people say like, well, you're also going through perimenopause. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like maybe that's something that not as an excuse, but just that is a totally different place. Right. Being in. In, response and I can't ignore to, being in response to your body as yeah. it is now, instead of expecting right. it to be some way it was at one time. Right. 
And that's and the sh- feeling shame or blame and, or mm-hmm. anything and, like and, that. And and identifying, you know, with with the fear of if I don't do this X, you know, something bad is going to yeah. happen. Like if I don't, yeah. And I lived in that. I mean, I lived in that for a long time, especially in regards to my yoga practice um, and being afraid that I was going to be a crazy person without it, you know, and being mm-hmm. afraid that I was going to start having all these health problems if I stopped eating or I started eating things yeah. I'm allergic to. Well, you know, it, it's been an interesting struggle because, you know, as things have progressed, so have lots of processed and packaged foods that I could yes. eat. I'd be traveling around and I was like, ooh, gluten-free, mm-hmm. soy-free, dairy-free, cookies. Oh yes. my God, cookies, yeah. like packaged cookies. I couldn't eat those. You know, I'd have to make all my cookies from scratch, you know, and on the road, you know, traveling, it wasn't easy to do that. Um, so I would definitely like find ways to like treat myself that were not always helpful. I would like binge eat, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free mm-hmm. cookies, or I would, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like find, you know, ask what oil they cooked the French fries in. Oh, it's not soy oil. Okay, good. I'm good to go on that. Let's like, eat, eat French fries and <laughs> yeah. mayonnaise, you know, cause Oh, it's, it's mayonnaise yeah. made with like canola oil. Okay. We're good on that. You know, like I had all these right. little ways of like finding, finding some joy or finding some temporary relief from my suffering through food practices that while they were maybe technically vegan or they were technically like, mm-hmm. you know, not, you know, rest- part of my restricted eating diet, they weren't actually like foods that were going to help my body heal. They were actually kind yeah. of foods that were increasing the inflammation in my body, increasing the tension in my body. Um, yeah. And I actually didn't fully fully realize this and discover this until the last year of year with making another dietary shift in my life that reminds me of like all the other times in my life when I've had really good help has been when I'm avoiding processed and packaged foods and I'm making my own food and it's mostly fruits and vegetables um, and very Mm -hmm. little little, um, anything else. That's the time in my life when I have felt the best. And now that I'm eating them this way and I'm ba- I feel backed up now with my understanding of how our bodies work, our microbiome and how our bodies heal, it's like made me feel super confident about eating this way um, and, and not like fearful in the same way that we were just talking. Like I'm not eating out of fear to avoid mm-hmm. certain things or, you know, eating this way or something bad's going to happen. I'm eating actually out of love for my body. Right love for understanding how my body works, understanding like the different struggles that I had with food, where they came from, what they pointed to in me that needed healing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now when I'm eating, I'm I'm in a state of like joy about it. (laughs) Like I really am. Like, even if I'm not eating like the perfect thing, you know, sometimes I'm like having a packaged cookie or something. It's like, I understand like what this is and the benefit that I'm getting from it in this moment. And this is not my standard. Right. right. That's not an escape to yeah. be able to say, oh, you know, the, the, this is healthy because right, right. It, it doesn't, doesn't have the other I understand that, that it's not. And I can look at the ingredients and go, oh, yeah, this is just kind of entertainment. It's not really right. food. It's entertainment. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah. and I know that my body feels better when I'm eating food and not just entertaining myself. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if I enjoy a French fry or I enjoy a cookie, it's not it's not what I do day in, day out. I have the standard I hold for myself is that of like real um, nourishment for my body based on 
you know, what I've learned and also what I've experienced in my body over the years of, of eating, of being a person who eats, yeah. you know? And you're the perfect person, I think, to teach this because you come from a place of that you like medically needed to avoid certain things. But at the same time, how did you make this so that it was um, something that you can share cooking the meal with family and, and people would actually enjoy it, you know, not look at. Yeah, exactly. And that that is possible. But that if anyone that's listening is like, you know, I, I think you said something beautiful and it, it, you said if you could just stop eating the things that make you feel bad. And I think like that's really the key of all of this is like we might intuitively or even intellectually know what we should be eating or right, what right. would be good. Um, but there are addictions when you there's sugar and there's a lot of things that your body's processing and you just always feel lethargic or sick and maybe you don't even know what it feels like to feel healthy oh, yeah. until those things are out of your system and sometimes it does mean that there's uh, some kind of detox period but or a period of restricted um, eating you know or, yeah. or restrictive eating or just yeah to you know even just inviting things. something cleaner as one meal and your body will start uh really craving that because that's really food i remember like um, because I stopped eating meat, um, when I turned 18 and I haven't since, but, um, that I had to make my own food. There wasn't like healthy, what's called healthy, like, um, you know, bowl that you can get from the, the market, you know, there wasn't vegan burgers, there wasn't, right. you know, morning star patties or whatever, you know? Um, so everything wasn't processed. And even if I, I remember when I would go eat out, it would be like at a Buddhist, like vegan, you know, food place. So like, um, there was a difference. And now like after really, and, and you uh, inspired that too, because it's that like, I know how to do this, but just sitting with that resistance of like, what is the resistance? And it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like just being aware of it sometimes is just like, loving yourself anyway but then there's a point where it's like okay I know what I know how to do this and I know how I feel better right so if I come with it not from okay I'm going to do this for this period of time so that I can look this certain way or feel this certain right. way but just like this makes me feel better and and there as you know, a young kid, really 18, you know, and you, your experience too at 19, like having to take the reins and be like, even if somebody else was encouraging that, but really had to have that self-discovery and what is really something that I should be eating? Right. How should I be eating? And you're like, I'm going to have carrot juice in the morning. <laughs> like, you know, just that knowing that something that was whole and that still had vitality even if we didn't have language for that, but just like, this is available and this is fast and I can eat this and it makes me have energy and it makes me feel good. Right. These are the kind of simple ways that really we should be bringing back into our life. But I know that it's hard yeah. for anybody to kind of go through that on their own because it's not as supported. A lot of times family members will like, 
you're on a diet now mm. or you're making yeah. that meal where can you make us a normal meal? And there comes that word again, that normal, like, can I just eat this way? And there's a lot of that play. So really having entering into a program that is um, paced in a way that will help people to really unpack first what where they are and how they entered this. Yes. And I think the beauty of community and having a group setting is that everybody learns from each other just because they showed up. For sure. Yes. Like, you know, and, and that power of, um, you know, I'm saying accountability in the sense, but not like, like where it's punished accountability to like, if you don't do something, but just, if you know somebody's going to be there, somebody's got you're your going to show up. <laughs> exactly. Somebody's yeah. got your back. You're going to show up because Amy's yeah. there and she took the time to get beat. Right. And, and having this to be able to do this with somebody else, even especially if there isn't anybody in your life that is able to help you through this or you're not sure how. And, and I love that you're helping coaches and healers because I, there is really something about whenever you help others. And I think all anybody who's in this field of coaching or serving others really does have a bit more of an empathic heart and are, you know, serving others and take on other people's things. And then there's that judgment of, but I'm not doing it. Right. So even to have a place where they can, without get, without um, shame, without having to feel judgment, that they say, I need a coach too. I need a mentor too. I need somebody to hold space for me. That's really important. And that's what I love that you're offering is that this isn't just for somebody. This, this is for everybody, but also don't underestimate that everybody needs this right. everybody needs somebody who can with so much knowledge with so much love coming from it that you can help people who are really struggling with something that you will like okay let's see where you're at and let's like get in there For because sure. I know how this feels yes you it's, know? it's really you know combining these two things combining Hannah somatic education this neuromuscular retraining method that starts to unlock and take off the baggage, the, the contractions, like the physical pattern of stress, trauma that we experience that's being held in our bodies. We start to untangle that through somatic education and then combining that with increasing the intake of divine healing foods, fruits and vegetables, whole plant foods, which is going to rebalance and reset the, our microbiome, right? Our individual microbiomes. These two things combined with a deep invitation on my part for, you know, if, if you're my client, for you to be the one who's sensing into your body and knowing mm -hmm. what the next move is, knowing what the right mm -hmm. thing to do is for you, what feels in alignment for you, right? That's the space that I'm, that I'm holding for people is, is what does Rosie need? Only Rosie knows. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm not here to tell yeah. you what to eat or how to eat. You don't like broccoli. Oh, don't eat broccoli. Eat something else. But, you know, like find out through your own experience in yourself what is going to be in alignment for you. So it's these things. It's it's unpacking the physical 
contractions that are binding us over time, creating neck pain, shoulder pain, lower back pain, but also mm-hmm. creating heightened levels of stress and anxiety that have all kinds of detrimental effects on our organs, right? And on our overall health, combining that with knowledge, inspiration about how your body works, right? Because there's your body that works in uniquely, but then there's the human body that has a certain mm-hmm. configuration, right? And there's so much beautiful research about how our body works and empowering people with that kind of knowledge that I personally think should be public knowledge. People should just learn this in school Mm -hmm. about how their body works, how their microbiome works. Maybe they will someday (laughs) learn about Mm -hmm. these things. And that invitation for you to be the one to check in and and do the self-healing work. Because ultimately what I'm teaching, they're methods of self-healing. So I believe that's how we really heal. You know, even a healer Mm -hmm. is, is... using their experience and their unique imprint to help the other person's nervous system go into a healing process to help the other person's body to kind of initiate them in that process of the self-healing that that person's body is capable of. Right. Yeah. That's to me what it really is means to be a healer is to be initiating another being in their process of healing. Yeah. Yeah, that we have in common is that um, it, it, it is about teaching the person how to get back into their body and asking these questions so that it's lifelong. I mean, this this program that you're um, going to you're pre-launch. starting soon, <laughs> uh, the pre-launch. Yeah, it's a five, how, uh, three months. It's 90 days. How long? So it's it? a 90 day program, yeah. but it's actually going to be 90 days intensive or immersive and then 90 days support. So there will be a three month mm. period post the end of the intensive period where the group will still be meeting once a month, checking in with each other, sharing about their experiences. So overall it's a six month program, but the intensive part of it, that's about really giving them, you know, starting to um, teach them these reliable tools and, and start this education process about health and help them start re start examining their behaviors, their habits, their feelings, all of what's going on inside of them. That's a three month period and how I've structured it actually, because, you know, right now I'm working with people one-on-one, which is amazing. It's really, really powerful Mm -hmm. working with someone one-on-one with these, these issues, with these things. But why I'm bringing it to a group is that I'm seeing that in a group capacity, it's going to be even clearer to the person that it's not about me. It's about, it's about what they're doing and it's about what they do when the hour and a half, two hours of class time is over that's really where mm-hmm. the healing starts to like really take place is after I'm not mm-hmm. there anymore. And sometimes with the one-on-one, it can kind of feel like there's a lot of transference onto me and a lot of yeah. like putting it on me that like, Oh, Amy's so wonderful. And she's doing this for me. When really what right. I want people to understand is that I'm here and I'm guiding you with my knowledge, but you're doing it. Your, your nervous system is making these changes. I can, I can't yeah. do that. You're you. holding the lantern. for them, you know, so that they can decide where to go. And I feel like that'll be more upfront, more visible in a group dynamic. People will see that happening Mm -hmm. for other people, right? Yeah. And it will be less focused on me. Um, So that's really what I'm thinking is going to be so powerful about the group. And just that, again, like you said, that, you know, accountability kind of feels like a loaded word, but, you know, having everybody's got, Mm -hmm. everybody who's got everybody else's back, you know, this communal aspect. You show up. Yeah. 
And then you also show up because you want to know how another yes. person's feeling, yes. you know, and maybe it's not, you know, I, I, whenever I'm in a group setting, it's like sometimes where I, maybe it wasn't a good, you know, week uh, going on like hectic in life. When I just show up, that, that alone is like the change that I needed, that there is a support system, that it's not just my, you know, little like blinders on it. This is what world the world is like. You, you're actually able to even share that experience with, with others and, and feel that connection. And that's really important. Yeah. And I think it is vital for people to know that, um, when you find a, a great teacher, um, the, the one that will help guide you to learn who you are yourself, because what a great, like really within half a year, even before then, like how different your life can oh, be. Absolutely. And this is just you helping them to really rekindle that and that like, remember, like put that mirror to them. Right. The power is inside and it's about like, I'm here with you. So let's, let's, you know, get in there and, and find out what is going to be best for you. Absolutely. And the, um, the first month of my program, right? So it's three months intensive. The first month, I'm actually not going to really have much of a food conversation. <laughs> and I'm discovering this. I love when you said yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> like, because the thing is, and the thing is, is that people are having certain behaviors and habits that are actually built around their tension, their pain, and mm -hmm. their fear pattern that their body mm -hmm. has been living in. So making changes in your diet or your lifestyle habits is that much harder when your stress levels are not shifting or changing. Yep. And when your yep. psychological patterns are still just in their autopilot mode. And so yep. the first month is, most, is, is focused mainly on that unwinding process that Hannah Somatic Education provides. So that each person, and, and this is really great because um, I'm doing actually a hybrid model, right? Because I've been doing one-on-one, -on -one, which is super powerful. But in the group model, there's going to be group class. But the first month, I'm actually, each person who participates in the program is going to get two private one-on-one -on -one sessions with me so that I am mm -hmm. sure that they understand the technique of this modality because it's really different than anything else they've maybe experienced or done before even if they're a yoga teacher, mm -hmm. you know, maybe especially if yeah. they're a yoga teacher, because it's not yoga, yeah. it's something different. We're doing something yeah. different, right? So mm -hmm. each person's going to have two one-on-one -on -one sessions with me in that first month, in addition to the class time, group class time. They're all going to be receiving video content and um, they're going to be given, you know, movements to do on their own. So during this three to six month period, I'm really inviting people to develop a daily practice, like an application of what they're learning mm -hmm. in their everyday, you know, everyday life. And that doesn't even mean that they're going to be spending that much time doing it. They might literally spend two or three minutes every day, the first week or two weeks doing the movements that I assign. It's, it takes that little amount of time, two to three minutes. And then we build from there. We build from there as they become more accustomed to the, um, the technique as they become more patient with themselves, as they start having less tension and they start getting the results of this movement practice, they start going, Oh, wow. Like my back was bothering me every day and now it's not bothering me. Mm -hmm. This is, I'm getting something. They're going to get more motivated. And then we start adding in yeah. a few more minutes at a time every week. Right. 
by the end of my, you know, 90 day program, they're going to have the tools, not only in their, their physical body of what they've experienced with having a daily practice, even if two or three to five to 15 minutes a day, but they're also going to have video content that they're going to be able to have a daily practice of this going forward in their lives. Mm, and yeah. that's really my goal is that that and, and same with eating same with the food stuff the conversation for the food starts month two then they've got you know 60 days where we're talking about that and integrating it into the somatic work with you know with unwinding their bodies in that investigative you know introspective process but food is one of those things you do every day multiple times a day exactly. and there's always the next meal to make a different choice about what you're putting in something that feels in better alignment, something that you notice like, oh, that, you know, I thought eating a huge amount of like cabbage would feel good, but no, it didn't, you know, less cabbage, you know, and you, and you, and you modulate with that sense of like being able to check in with your body and, and go, oh, wow, that didn't feel very good. Let me, let me switch that up a little bit. Let me tweak that Mm -hmm. and see how that feels. Oh, that's a little better. And you'll see, I mean, you've done sessions with me. That's pretty much what we're doing in somatics too. We're doing something and then looking at the effect of what we did and then recalibrating it so that we get more of the result that we're looking for. Yeah. And it's this beautiful process. It's intimate. Yeah. Yeah. It's intimate and individual at the same time as it being something that everybody can do. It's it's general in that sense. Like you said, everybody has a body. Everybody's going to eat, you know, but it's, it's this that you're... Uh, relationship with self, relationship with food, relationship with everything. And then, of course, then that becomes a relationship with others because you're not in pain. Yes. You're not, you know, wondering and guessing and trying. And it's not day one, I messed up. Let me start over on Monday. Right. You know, it's, it's, how did that meal feel? And then, right. And let's see if I want to continue. I've even had these moments like, what, you know, cause I, I'm in this process all the time in my life where I'm eating something and as I'm eating it, I'm like, Oh, this is pretty salty. Oh, and it's a few more bites. And I'm like, Oh, no, this is like maybe too salty. Like I'm starting to already feel mm-hmm. like maybe I wasn't hydrated yeah. enough to like be taking this much salt in right now. And then I, I have a choice at any moment to like, stop putting That's the right. food in, you know? Yeah. But if I'm driven by some kind of fear mentality of like, Oh, but I paid for this. Oh, but like, you know, I don't exactly. want it to go to waste. Oh, but like, whatever the noise is, people will think I don't like the food yep. that they made for me. If I listen to mm-hmm. that over listening to what my body's saying, like I'm not mm-hmm. doing myself any favors. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm responding yep. to fear rather than responding to what actually is true, which is, oh, you know, this food's not doing it for me right now. Like this food feels like yeah. it's taking something from me instead of nourishing and giving something to me. Right. And, yeah. and, and opening people up to that moment to moment possibility to realign, to recenter and, and, and do it out of love for themselves, do it out Mm -hmm. of love for their bodies. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. yeah. And that's, it's, that's how we figure out how to recenter is by going off center. (laughs) That's how, you know, all, all roads lead to love, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I, and what I love about, um, and well, uh, I'll let you, uh, wrap it up with finishing anything you want to you want to um, share and add but I heard this and it, it just reminds me of everything how you teach how how I teach is that um you know balance is not 
like walking down a straight line. You know, it's like riding a bike. When you balance on a bike, depending on the terrain, you might be leaning really far one way just to stay on mm-hmm. upright. You know, and so life also, uh, food choices, all these things are being able to navigate that shift from side to side, you know, forward, back, stop, full, you know, up, down, get off, get on, you know, the, it is this ride that we, we have to be okay with that it's not going to be exactly the same as it was even the meal before, yeah. even the, 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 the walk to the, um, I remember when I was first learning, like, you know, I would, I would walk and it was almost like, oh, let me practice walking, you know, <laughs> again. Oh, you and mean then after a session? That. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, after a session and then that. just like practice, like, you know, and then like that moment where it like kind of adjusted, I wasn't overthinking it. It was just like, oh no, this feels good. At least this feels good today, you know? And then just like, oh, I can do this because this is just remembering how my body naturally moves. And and that's what I love is that even just after really relatively few sessions that I still, and that was a couple of years ago, like I still keep those things. And when I'm feeling any kind of stiffness, I'm like, wait, how does even if it's not exact, like how does my body naturally move? Mm-hmm. And let me go back to that. And then, so this is really like a lifelong uh, gift that y- all your teachings have. So just that invitation that if anyone's like, I'm not sure if I can change, you know, within that time, it's not meant to be that in three months, they're, you're going to change them for the rest of their life. It's that in three months, you're going to help guide them. Yes. And then the three months after and so that they can take totally. it. From there. And if they really invest in themselves, meaning they invest in the program, they invest their time and energy and they follow the, follow the program to the best of their ability. Right. Like even if they're not perfect, they might like, Oh no, miss a session or, you know, they mm-hmm. experience a couple of days where they're not doing their self-practice, whatever that life brings them, but they stay as close to that as possible they will start to have a ex- different experience of their bodies that I believe will motivate people to continue or at least remember that mm-hmm. it's possible after the program. Exactly. They're going to go, oh, I yeah. actually, this tension that I was carrying in my neck for who knows how long, I have now the experience of that just softening and going away exactly. and not being there <laughs> as a result yeah. of doing these things, you know? Right. I was having, you know, maybe someone having like uh, with with examples in my life, like my father having high blood pressure for years and fear about it, fear Mm -hmm. about his heart and then changing his diet and seeing, watching his blood pressure change. That's a result that he was like firsthand experiencing that motivates him to continue to to eat this way, you know, and and as much as possible, like do these things that he can literally see and feel the change. You know, so I think 90 days is a good frame of time for people to actually get an experience of that that's going to motivate them, even if they don't stick with it, you know, and they they flip flop a little bit. They're going to have a toolkit. They're going to have an experience that they say, I remember that I can do this. My body is capable of of being in a relaxed, peaceful state. I'm Mm -hmm. capable of making choices that feel good to me about what I consume because I had that experience in that group, you know. Yeah. And it changed the path that I was on. It changed my trajectory of where I was headed before I did that work. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's really what all this is, isn't it? Just being able to change, to pivot, to change that trajectory and decide which direction to go. Is it going to be more nourishing or, yeah, you know, detrimental? Right. And, <laughs> but, and moving towards, like I said, um, I've said multiple times, it's, it's moving towards love. And that doesn't necessarily even mean moving away from fear. Fear is held with love. Yeah. Fear is part of us and it exists for a reason. And we don't have to be ashamed of it or hide Mm. it or fight it. But we also don't have to let it control us. I love that. That coming, you know, each time pivoting towards love is going to hold that fear that maybe has a really good reason for being there going to hold mm-hmm. that fear as, as that light was holding me when I was 19 years old and yeah. just full of it, you know, full yeah. of fear was, was holding me and healing that that's frightened part of me, that frightened child, that frightened teenager. So that's really the, the message and the place that I'm coming from in this program and in my work with people is, yeah, is channeling in that light and also sharing yeah. all of my resources and all of my like experiences and knowledge and inviting people to do, to do their self-healing work. Mm. And that's why I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, Rosie. This has been hey, such hey. a great conversation today. I've loved, I've yeah. loved everything you've said and inspired me to say. It's been a really, really wonderful to share with you. Thank you. And uh, of course, all this information of how to reach Amy, how to sign up for um, the really wait list, um, the pre-launch for the program to get information, all that's going to be in the show notes. So uh, take a look there. And then of course, follow Amy on uh, social media. What are your handles? Um, in case Amy somebody Takaya, look at the A-I-M-E-E-T-A-K-A-Y-A. Amy Takaya. Um, both yeah, it's just Instagram one word on Instagram and then it's Amy Takaya, mm-hmm. two separate words on Facebook. And both of my profiles are public, so you don't even have to friend me to see my content. You can be, <laughs> you can be like super, super sneaky detective and just watch things without me knowing, and that's totally cool too. Yeah. I, I do that sometimes yeah. with people. I like to be undercover, right? So um, yeah, yeah, I share every Friday um, on Facebook. I go live. And right now I'm doing a series called The Myth of Aging, where I'm talking about mm. these ideas that we have around growing older or around what our trajectory becomes as we age. And instead of thinking of it as a given, looking at it potentially as a physiological process that can be interrupted um, and, mm-hmm. and potentially reversed if we don't like the trajectory yeah. we're on. So yeah. That's that's what I'll yeah. be sharing this Friday is the myth of aging part two. That's so good uh, and and very relevant to where I am too. And I can keep speaking on and on, but I I, I know we can keep talking. Oh, for, but um, this was this was amazing. And uh, check out Amy; she's incredible and um, always open to discussion, conversation. Comment on her post, and she'll answer. Yeah, you can send and, me a direct um, message. And right now, for the time being, I'm still open to free 20 minute somatic consultation demonstration that may change in the future, but right now I'm still open to that. So if you send me a direct message and, you know, we can, we can schedule a call and have a 20 minute demo of what, what this somatic movement thing is and how it could help you. 
Oh my gosh. Please do that. That is such a gift. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Amy. Thank you so much. Have an amazing rest of thank your you. week. Thank you for this opportunity, Rosie. Uh, I love that you reached out for, for this. Yes. Amazing. All right. All right. Talk to everybody later. Bye-bye. Wow. What a powerful interview and an amazing story and more amazing person. Amy is absolutely somebody that can hold space for you. So check out the show notes, follow her on social media and message her so you can do that 20 minute free consultation. Until next time.